lots of land and the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off another bar. Some stuff, easy breeze. It was beautiful. You could see the moon and Mars and Mars. Beautiful lately. Right next to the moon. Very red. Very red. I haven't seen Mars that close to the moon. I, I know I didn't see it last summer. I, I might have I, and just missed it. But normally I'm checking out Venus and Saturn and. Sometimes Jupiter's out there and playing around, but I never saw, I've never seen Mars that close. There's got to be something going on in space regarding Mars making an appearance at this time, but it's really close to has been really close to the moon for, for the last week and a half. It's been up there, and when they call it the red planet, it's yep, that's the red planet. All right, it is indeed uh, is indeed Mars. It's beautiful. And I was out there last night, and it was a gorgeous evening. And I guess they didn't bother to check the weather forecast or anything like that, because I thought, well, you know, how could it rain between now and when I wake up in the morning? I mean, how is it, how's it possible? Some kind of fast-moving storm or whatever it is that comes our way? I don't know. And so I didn't check a weather forecast. And so I went ahead and and uh, 
and 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 hold on, my 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 little thing is doing doing strange things. My computer, my 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 cord is uh, doing. I'm trying to keep power in my computer, and my cord is flipping out on me. I can't do this all day. Hang on. Hang on, people. Hang on. Just give me a, give me a second here. Give me a beat. Hold on, hold on, people. Yeah, it's just doing this to me. I don't know why. Hold on. Hang on. It, it's my power cord. I, it's, I was getting to a story about how I left my roof off of the Jeep again. And then I, it, got, uh, it got wet. So hang on, hang on. My computer is flipping out on me now. It's, uh, I've got to figure out a different way here. Yeah, sorry, people. Yeah, I, I just, it's one of those things where, um, uh, there. Oh, no. Come on, stop now. Stop, people. Stop. All right, I'll just see. I'll see how much power I can get with, with, without, without, I won't plug it in, and I'll just uh, not worry about it. Anyway, so, yeah, I wake up this morning, and I see that it's uh, raining like hell. And they, oh, you got to be kidding me. I forgot my roof again to put my roof on the Jeep. But I think that, uh, there was a situation where uh, where I just could have checked the weather. I gotta get. I just gotta get used to this somehow. So anyway, hey, later on, I'm going to uh, bring up uh, uh, Mark Kaysen, who's not going to be able to come in. But about six thirty, I'm going to check in with him over this Kavanaugh thing because this is getting uh, this is getting ridiculous. Uh, uh, and it. it, it the the death threats and all this kind of stuff, although the Nets don't seem to be covering the death threats towards Judge Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one of these things where, first of all, do you know it? I mean, who makes these death threats, by the way? Who, who is pulling this stuff and who does this stuff? And, 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 and even in your worst moments, would you think about like um would you think about calling somebody and making some kind of a death threat? What the hell is wrong with people in this country? What the hell is wrong with people who even talk about death and and, and the Maxine Waters of the world and all these other people who talk about assassinations and killing people and people dying? And it's like, wow. I mean at, at some point you're thinking who is out there calling a the office of a congressperson or Kavanaugh or I wouldn't even know how to get a hold of the dude. But but who would who would do to the woman? I mean, what what is it? And and plus on top of that, people always make these death threats, and they they wind up. Nobody ever really actually follows through on any of these things. So it's all just a matter of a means of just trying to harass and bully people. But who does this kind of stuff? It just, it just becomes so crazy. And then, of course, then it becomes the media covering some death threats and, and, and not covering others. Like, like ABC did a whole story about death threats and and this woman testifying and she did say that she would testify now under the right conditions, whatever that happens to be. I don't know whether that's going to be on Thursday. We think it's going to be on Thursday, but 
she's supposed to testify then, and we'll see how this whole thing goes. But, I mean, right now they're just still trying to delay the game. They're still trying to kind of get things uh, to a point of, of delay. They're not going to be able to delay this much longer. And most people are coming out of the woodwork. Even even an AP reporter said, you know what, we ought to – this this woman needs to be questioned so so we so we can move on and and go on and continue on with things and and, and get the show on the road and so even regular people are saying that but still what conditions are there that are going to have to be perfect for her uh, and and there can't be a possibility of allowing her a chance to weasel out of tough questions one of the things I still want to know about, and I was talking to somebody last night about this, is the situation regarding the lie detector test. This, to me, is a story that needs to be developed and told, and we need to find out exactly the circumstances surrounding this lie detector test. There's some information that it was like a family friend that administered the lie detector test, and we don't know... Uh, about any of what is going on regarding the questions that were asked in this lie detector test. So we don't really know. And so at this point, at this stage of the game, it's become one of those situations where, uh, you know, I want to know more about that than I do anything else. I want to know the circumstances surrounding her coming forward, how this whole thing developed. And there will be people who and that's where I'm afraid these negotiations are going to take a turn that will tend to keep her from having to answer these questions. And my supposition is that there are negotiations going on right now where they will ask at some point whether or not her side will ask if we do answer questions we only want to answer questions pertinent to the event that happened, nothing around the run-up to me making the, the charge or all of the technicalities afterwards. Because this is where I believe she is most impunable. This is where she is most vulnerable, is in the questions surrounding the makeup of her claim. And, and how she made it, how she did it, and how this whole thing went down. And that is where I really want to get more information about when she came forward, who she came forward to, who leaked this information to the media. She claimed she didn't want to come forward. Suddenly somebody leaks it to the media. This is not a Republican who leaks this to the media, at least that I know of. You never know these days. So how did this whole thing go down? Why did it take a month after she made the claim for them to take a lie detector test? Who gave the lie detector test? What exactly were the questions surrounding the lie detector test? What questions did they ask you? Did they mention Kavanaugh's name in the lie detector test? And who is this person who administered it? And at what time of day they gave it? And everything else. Who she talked to in the Democratic Party? Who she talked to in the media? All these things I want answered, and my belief is these are all things that she's going to try to shield herself from answering. Because if, if otherwise, why are you negotiating 
your questioning by the Judiciary Committee? Why are you even bothering to try to set a stage where you are attempting to try to finagle a certain outcome in your judiciary questioning? Why are you doing that? What is this all about? Because otherwise, I'll tell you, when somebody is making an accusation or, for that matter, even being accused of something, since when do you negotiate the conditions under which you testify? Now, I understand there might be a question of whether or not she's going to do it privately or publicly or what have you. But it's my understanding what's happening is she's negotiating the terms of the questioning, the kind of questioning, not exactly how it's going to be administered. And that's where I worry. So keep an, keep an eye on that. In the meantime, so ABC News decides they're going to uh, cover. We got, a, we got a kind of a mixed bag of media coverage yesterday. ABC did a good thing in covering the identification of the remains of at least two of our North Korean war heroes or Korean war heroes. You know, those uh, bodies that came home, uh, the, the body, what was left of them, at least that came home and they were doing some forensics testing, but they did, they did finally identify two of them. And I'll tell you that story a little later on, because it's a, it's a good one. And it was largely ignored by the, by the news media, but ABC did cover it for, for, uh, to their credit. But when they covered the the accusations and the death threats and those kinds of things of all these people involved, because now everybody's getting a death threat. So apparently if you're not getting a death threat, you're kind of nobody. But if you're Kavanaugh and you're getting a death threat, you're being largely ignored by the news media. And we begin with the Supreme Court showdown. And tonight it does now appear that we will hear from Brett Kavanaugh's accuser. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford no longer holding out for an FBI investigation into her claims before she testifies, saying she will answer questions, but asking for certain conditions, including her safety. Judge Kavanaugh seen briefly today at the White House. He is reported to have been preparing in recent days for the questions he will be asked. So tonight, just how soon could this happen? Mary Bruce leading us off on Capitol Hill again tonight. Tonight, Christine Blasey Ford says she is willing to tell the Senate that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her. As today, anger roared through the halls of the Capitol. By the way, by the way, did you see, first of all, who are these people and why are they eating Taco Bell and stuffing their disgusting fat faces with pizza and everything in Grassley's office? Did you see that video? They're sitting on the floor. And they're just like, I, I, and they don't, even, they don't even close their mouth when they chew. It's like watching uh, Kasich eat a, eat a piece of pizza on the campaign trail. It's like, could you people be any more uh, stomach turning when you're when you're squatting in Grassley's office with with food on the floor and everything else? It's kind of like people really. But yeah, they're all out in force. I don't know who they are, but they're all out there. In an email to the Senate Judiciary Committee, Ford's lawyer writing she wishes to testify, provided that we can agree on terms that are fair and which ensure her safety. Ford and her children have been forced to leave their home to escape harassment, even death threats. Yeah, but Kavanaugh received death threats and not an ounce of any kind of reporting on it. Now listen, no one should be receiving death threats in any way, shape, or form. I mean, nobody should. But and, and the fact that anybody is ought to be really concerning. I, and I, I listen, some people make them up. 
they're usually uh, like radio people. I, I don't know how many times, just in my career, these people who are some of these uh, conservative hosts and things, they, they lie about how people are threatening them and attacking them and everything else. I mean, listen, I've been – let's put it this way. I've been out there getting my hands dirty for uh, upwards of 29 years now in the, in the media, and I've never received a death threat. It's not that I'm inviting them or doing whatever, but I've said really incendiary things. I've gotten in people's faces about about stuff, and I've been on the radio here uh, talking about things that that otherwise would really make people very angry. And uh, but I've never I've never gotten a death threat, and it's not like I, I want one now. You know, don't don't you know? <laughs> but but still. To me, most of most of the people, most death threats are just are, are lies. People are lying, and they're trying to make themselves out to be victims. And let's face it, there are some kooks around this country and this world. And maybe I'm just not famous enough, but because you never really know. I I, I did get some when uh, the the headlines read that I threatened to sexually assault a teenager that the the ones when I was libeled in the newspapers I did get a couple of those you know but they were mostly on Twitter or whatever else or I hope you die or whatever that's not a death threat that's just somebody hoping you die or whatever and so I, I did get some of that uh at that time but I never had to I never really got it that bad I had people saying vile things or I think one was like where do I send your body parts or Stuff like that. It's like, um, and and uh, here, I, and 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 my answer would have been here. Look down down the barrel of this uh, twelve gauge, fifteen round bullpup, and you'll see an address in there if you look hard enough. And that's where you can send my body parts. That's what I would have told the person. But you know what he would have said? He threatened me with a gun, so I didn't do it. If you if you look close enough into the barrel of this twelve gauge, there's an address in there somewhere. Just keep looking. That's all. So no, but but I didn't do that because because I would have been the one who would would have been the threatener with a gun and everything else. So normally I I, I will reserve you know that retort for a later date. Let's put it that way. Meanwhile, boy, President Trump is frustrating everybody with his response to. The Dr. Ford accusation, and I don't know whether this is kind of like the unsung story uh, back there because because the president's not getting any credit, certainly, for his measured tone regarding the Kavanaugh deal, uh, but he's not getting attacked either. I don't know whether you've noticed that or not. They've really been trying I mean, to the point where, well, let's just attack them then for handing out food to people there in New Bern, North Carolina. Well, maybe that'll work because there's nothing he said that can be picked apart by anybody, even though they are uh, they are trying. But they can't find anything because President Trump is being very measured about this. And in my opinion, very reasonable. He's not he's being reasonable to both sides. Uh, and, and so I think it's frustrating a lot of these individuals who are like, darn it, can't you just say something that we could pin on you? Or can't you can't you say something that we can attack you for? But so far, President Trump's like, yeah, you know, uh, let's just see how it all plays out. It's, it's a process. They're like, really? Yeah, it's a process. Don't you want to grab somebody by the pee or something? No, no, that, that wouldn't do any of that. 
Don't you want to say something scurrilous about her? No, not don't want to say anything about that at all. Just going to give a measured tone. Here he is. I mean, this is pretty typical. He's talking to Sean Hannity, but and and it's frustrating the media quite a bit over the whole. Mr. Thing. President, how are you, sir? It's an honor to see you. Wave to the fake news media. <laughs> Hello, folks. I, uh, I love these interviews, and I, I love the interviews in front of rally attendees. By the way, President Trump is going to be in Springfield today. I got, uh, I got credentialed to be there, and I was going to go down there. And I'm sure he's going to be there for uh, Josh Hawley, and, and it's going to be a rally tonight at 6.30. And I did arrange to be there for the the event uh, for Radio Free Almond, but it's 6.30 at night. It's in Springfield, and my life on a weekend is a little different than sometimes it normally is because I have um, kids' games all over the place and events and things that uh, – so, you know, Lily has soccer and volleyball. Natalie has soccer and volleyball. Aiden has football and then tennis. And it just, it kind of is, uh, and it's all day. And so when I'm gone, because I'd have to stay overnight in Springfield, and then I'd have to wake up and then drive back and. You know, I wouldn't be home until noon or something, and by then, most of the I just it just would have been kind of a burden on everybody for me not to be around on the weekend. So I uh, decided to uh, not not go, and uh, and so, but it'll be fun. It'll be a great rally. I hope. I hope similarly, there is somebody who interviews President Trump, and uh, and who uh, does it in front of the crowd, which I I love these things. And I love how, how Sean Hannity said wave to the fake news media. I mean, it's classic. And they're all standing there. And, and, um, and Hannity's just like totally throwing them under the bus while they're standing there. I love this. I, you, can't, you can't be more cruel you can't, to, the, to the news media in a situation like this where you've got them right there. We'll play that again because I you've got to hear this again because it's too much fun. It's an honor to see you. Wave to the fake news media. <laughs> and, he, and he waves. Oh damn, that's funny. I'm going to turn it up and play it again because I can. Let's do that again, shall we? Mr. President, how are you, sir? It's an honor to see you. to the fake news media. <laughs> Hello, folks. It's great to see you. How are you? Nice to see you. You, nice want, to to sit? See you. you want to stand? What do you want to stand, do? Stand, stand. Uh, first, what is your camera? Tell hey, me. Right here? Okay. Yeah, you can look right here. First, you can thank Laura Ingram, who's given oh. us extra Hannity time tonight. Well, she's very special, and she's doing well. You know what? She's doing well. She's a big supporter of yours. But what do you make of where the Kavanaugh hearings are now? There's a new set of demands that have come out. I think it's a very sad situation. He's an outstanding person. And frankly, Sean, to see what's going on is, is just very, very sad. You say, why didn't somebody call the FBI 36 years?
years ago. I mean, you could also say, when did this all happen? What's going on? Uh, to take a man like this and be smart. Now, with that being said, let her have her say, and let's see how it all works out. But I don't think you can delay it any longer. They've delayed it a week already. And, and you've, been very, about, you've been very accommodating. I have been accommodating. I say, let her say what she has to say, and let's see how it all comes out. But they've delayed it a week, and they have to get on with it. Yeah. Mr. President, and, you, and you're dealing enough, with... That's an opinion that is shared by even just people who are... Uh, normal, average, everyday, liberal news media members. I mean, they had a person from the AP uh, who was out and said, you know, I think this probably does need to go on. I think we probably need to finally get uh, going with this thing. And, uh, you know, Megyn Kelly said the exact same thing. And I think most people are saying, hey, let's let's uh, let's get this thing going. Let's get this thing moving and let's hear from her. But let's get it moving on here. A lot of good economic news today. And and this is another thing that really goes untold because the Kavanaugh story is overtaking everything. But as Sean's just about to per- point out, huge, great economic news. Yesterday. There's a lot of media people. It seems like all they ever talk about. And John Solomon and Sarah Carter broke a big story tonight. Great people. And what they're saying is, is that even the intelligence community and the FBI didn't want to give the intel to the Obama administration because there were conflicts and they would weaponize it against you. That's our new information. Well, I'm not surprised to hear it. If you look at what's been going on over the last couple of years, and I'm not just talking about from the time I won the presidency. This took place when I was winning in the primaries. I mean, you look at what's going on. I'm not surprised to hear anything. Before the election, after the election, even the media leak strategy, Lisa Page had testified that for... And now, of course, uh, you Brennan's out there saying how he doesn't think that the FBI and the other guys should cooperate in any way, shape, or form with President Trump's call to release this information. And so now you have the deep state in the formulation of Brennan and everybody else rearing their ugly heads and trying to get some inner rebellion going on. And listen, this is a guy, it's no wonder, of course, that you have his his credentials, his his uh, uh, classification, his classified status, uh, his, his ability to look at classified information pulled. This guy is completely a traitor. Now, how as as that is declassified is up to the agencies, but you have to think that the DNI and the top officials would this not be welcoming Mitchell this move, but it's, it's an order from the White House. Should they be obeying it? Should they be protesting? Some people have said some... People should be resigning in protest. Well, I think Christopher Wray, uh, director of FBI, and Dan Coase, director of national intelligence, as well as Rod Rosenstein, who is overseeing this investigation, should push back against any directive that is going to have negative impact on our capabilities. It's a directive from the president of the United States who has all the constitutional authority to make it happen. And what you're hearing from Brennan here is another example of how there are individuals out there who believe that they run the government, that they, in fact, are the ones who are in power, that they, in fact, are the ones who who control certain kinds of duties that are otherwise held by the commander-in-chief. 
And people like Brennan are dangerous individuals, especially when they still have clearance. And at that point, you listen to this guy every single day, and the pulling of his clearance is absolutely confirmed to be a good idea. And these are the people who are out there, folks, and, and, and Brennan and these guys are trying to undermine him, even as the president has so much success. By the way, that soundbite you just heard was taken was, – was, was, we were watching Brennan in a double box, and the other box was the photographs of the president of Poland and his wife who had arrived at the White House. And as you recall – the president's world-famous speech that he gave in Poland, which is largely ignored, unfortunately, by historians and other people who uh, don't want to give the president credit. And that speech was given, and that was something I referenced when I talked to Jim Carafano, and that speech talked about Poland and its richness in terms of its heritage and its nationalism and its pride in its country. There is a reason why Poland still remains the crown jewel of the Eastern Bloc, the crown jewel of the Eastern Bloc, because Poland has maintained its cultural pride. Poland has maintained its faith. It's, it's not becoming more secular like Germany and France and some of the other countries out there. Uh, it hasn't been stripped of its national pride. In fact, it promotes it. It hasn't been stripped of its focus on its culture. And and President Trump, when he gave that speech, this was about a year and a half ago, it was a beautiful speech, and it was so well-crafted in terms of its reinforcement of the power of nationalism. I'm not talking about the nationalism you hear about in the media, but the power in national pride. And Poland has had just unbelievable success in keeping its stuff together. And one of those things also is that it is, it, it is when people try to team across Poland's border uh, and, and kind of invade the country, Poland says, uh, you know what, why don't you get your ass out of here? How does that sound? And that's what Poland has been doing because they have maintained their sovereignty, both culturally as well as politically and certainly militarily. That Poland speech was similar to the speech that the president gave when he was uh, talking to the leaders in the Muslim world, where he said, "Look, look at your pride. Look at the pride. Look what Islam actually has done throughout the world. The, the good people of Islam. Look at your art. Look at your culture. Look what you've brought us. And why are you allowing these hacks to get in the way of all that? And and." And ruin it and destroy it. Why are you allowing terrorism to uh, foment? Keep a, keep a lid on it. It's worth it. Teach your young people about your culture and about national pride. Pride in Islam even. But, but teach them the history of it. And teach us that when Islam was always at its best, it was creating. It was designing. It was writing. It was uh, promoting its own culture. It wasn't bombing, it wasn't shooting, it wasn't hacking, it wasn't driving into crowds. And so that was a great speech that he gave. But the common themes of both of them were national pride. Anyway, the visuals of this very nice event where the head of Poland and his wife came to the White House, there's Brennan talking about, hey, people ought to just tell him to go buzz off and, 
and 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 go against all of his orders and blah 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 blah. And it's like, really, this is the world we live in right now. This is the nation we're facing right now. Is a John Brennan, a deep state spook. A failed spook at that. God knows how many Americans died while he was supposed to be on the watch for them. But Brennan is 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 a horrible fixture in the intelligence world and has done nothing to truly protect this country. And when he was tasked with protecting people, he was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and we had 17 U.S. servicemen die under his watch when he worked for the CIA. So this guy is incompetent, to say the least, and certainly a traitor, to say, say the least, is in my opinion, and promoting treason as well. So that's the environment we get of these people who are, you know, missing great economic news and, 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 a, and a great leader in the formulation of President Trump in terms of trying to run across the world and promote national pride, promote the United States of America. And we've got people like these, these gargoyles like Brennan and other people who just want to derail it at all, at all costs. Anyway, we've got uh, Mark Cation coming on. I'm going to get fight with him for a little while. And then we've also got Jim Talent joining us at 7.30. And today also is uh, Doug Giles' day as well. And he's going to be on with us at 8.30. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. has millions of It's not too late. Golden Oak Lending has millions of dollars available with mortgage rates in the threes. Pay off high interest credit cards. Eliminate PMI. Fix up your home. You could even skip two months of mortgage payments. And if we can't close your loan, the appraisal is no charge. Call 314-567-GOLD. 567-GOLD. Golden Oak Lending cured my blues. NMLS 114937, 111 Westport Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD.
there. And thank you, Rick and Jerry Poe, by the way, for your support of Radio Free All. You guys are awesome. By the way, is going to be. I've got some news for you later on, probably around seven o'clock. I'll let you know about what's kind of in the offing here for me and Radio Free Allman, by the way. But nonetheless, I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't have them advertise, but they could advertise with Discovery Design, and so they basically were looking for any way to support me, and that's what. Rick and Jerry did. They said, well, then if we can't do it with Arrowhead Building Supply, we'll do it with our other company. Discovery Design, discoverydesigninc.com. That's how we'll, uh, we'll roll. Because we're going to find a way to help Allman, and we're going to find a way to help out here. And they are. And so I appreciate it. Yeah, Jackie, loyalty, what a concept. Uh, you, you are You are correct. A lot of loyal people. I mean, Michael Proctor is a, is a great example of that. Proctor spelled like Dr. ProctorDrapery.com. He came back. Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell All-State Agency. He came back. And and, 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 and many, I mean, you know, Golden Oak Lending, they, they stepped up. I didn't have them even, they're, they're new. They just came and said, we're going we're gonna to help you. We don't we're going to be with you. We know about what you do and who you are and everything else, and we're going to be on board with, with that. We're going to be on your side. So thank you, Golden Oak Lemon, for that. Santino Cigars and Cocktails. The Pudi Wellness. Eric Pudi's been with me the entire time. He's, he's a warrior, man. ThePudiWellness.com. And then Tracy and Rick Ellis, who helped me out to get me involved in the, being a conduit for them. So if you do have, actually, a... Uh, if you have a home you want to sell or you want to buy and you have uh, a business you're wanting to sell or buy, you can call me at 314-309-0704, 314-309-0704, and I'll get you hooked up directly with Rick and Tracy Ellis, tracyellis.com, and they'll get your home sold for you. So let me see if I can uh, get a hold of Anyway, Matt had a good question when we were during the break there. He said, well, so, so what happens if, if 
goes Kavanaugh gets confirmed, and what happens to her? And, and they prove that there's really no veracity to her claim. What happens to her? Well, nothing. She just goes away, and, and, and he's permanently scarred. As some people have promised and said he would be. They said they said that, that he's tarnished forever now, no matter what. It's like, wait a minute, what, what kind of country is that? How is it possible that we could be in a country where an accusation can can do that? I mean, it, it has happened to me too. I'm not I'm not complaining though. I I, that's why I, I don't complain. I succeed. That's my revenge. Tell the kids the same thing when when it comes to things that are in their way or problems that they might have. I've always told them, I said, your best revenge is from the older to the littler. I don't really call it revenge necessarily, but your best comeback to anything, no matter what it is, is success. Your best comeback is success, and then the others will catch on. But... Yeah, do I do I fight and do I seek recompense? Yes, I'm suing the crap out of these people. So yeah, I mean I, I but 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 all but parallel to that, I'm getting back in the game. So I don't I, I take care of the business, the dirty stuff behind the scenes. I don't make the dirty stuff the forefront of my life. I just uh, take care of business back that way and then the stuff that matters to you and the stuff that matters to common sense I take care of here that's what I do I, I do I do that here because you all are very nice you are concerned about my cases and things like that but but you don't want to hear about them all day it's, I'm taking I, I can tell you I'm taking care of business and will be there's more to come by the way on that business end in terms of my fight back but I fight, and then I, you know, come back. Succeed. Success is your best revenge, everybody. Good morning, this morning. Oh, can Mark Kaysen be gloating, or what do you think he's doing right now? I'll be waiting for my phone call. Getting ready to go outside with his umbrella on. With his umbrella. And his trench coat. It's I. What? I'm here. What, you, what is this it is I thing? What is it with you uh, left-wingers now? You're, you keep talking in like old Roman I language. I! It is I! I am Spartacus! When I turned on your show this morning a few minutes ago and I got that flag business, it sort of shook <laughs> me for a second. Um, the flag and business. especially, I, I don't like it when it's in public because without Eric Naputi there to fix my back, I have I don't, it worries me to take a knee. But that's another story. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what? Uh, you you have more reason. You, you don't even have to even look at the flag. You just look at the success of this country, and uh, you can be proud. You, I'm sure you're very proud of the 
economic news and the wage growth, job growth. Uh, we just got numbers from the Latino uh, Latino employment numbers and unemployment's below five percent for the first time in history. Black unemployment's at its lowest. Oh, wait, wait, Stock market's going stop, crazy. Stop, the GDP is going nuts. In history stuff. Well, yeah. for the, of, for the none first... None of this is first time in history, and none of this is all that exceptional. But I will say this. Obama did a good job. That's true. Right. And, and, and you, you, did you hear me debunk all that? And, 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 and I mean, it's, it's so easy to debunk the, this, this whole that Obama somehow created this economy. Obama keeps on running around and, and running his mouth about how he should be taking credit for all that. But the, but the reality is uh, he... Let's put it this way, and and let's let's be factual about this, okay? Because you you need to, we need to be factual about Obama! this stuff. Because President Obama, there was a recovery under President Obama, but you can talk to any of your uh, economic New York Timesy masters like Paul Krugman, and they will acknowledge that. There was a recovery, but it was the slowest recovery in modern American history. That is true. Obama! And, and so when President Trump came into office and started to roll back regulation to uh, instill the tax cuts and everything else for people and businesses, that's when we saw a GDP at three that, uh, that, that, that President Obama said would never happen, by the way. Okay? He said that would never happen, Mark. And then later on, uh, the first three months of his term, GDP at three, then now at four, which is something they st- – you know, Obama was the one who said, oh, what, you got a magic wand? It's like, uh, no, we just have sound economic policy here. And so now it's at four, and so – uh, the, while there was a recovery that started under Obama, it was the slowest recovery on record. You have to that those are just the facts. First of all, that those facts are all incorrect. But here's the deal: if 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 you would like, depending on what the news situation is on Monday, uh, if you'd like to take ten or fifteen minutes when I come into the studio, and I'll bring the charts, and we'll take a look at some of this stuff, and and. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll debunk everything you just said. Okay, Every so, all right, well then, last bit all of right, it. All right, ch- challenge accepted then. I, well, you can bring in, uh, the, the, the only problem is, uh, whenever somebody threatens to bring charts in, it doesn't seem like a very good threat. Why, can, why, don't you, why, just, why do we need charts? Why can't you just articulate? Because you know, a lot of people listen on the stream, so a chart. Uh, you, you have to see it. You have to, well, I know, but you have to see it. You really, when you see it, it makes an incredible impression, and I'm really good at showing that I, I do this all the time. It, you know, what, what Donald Trump has done has not helped anybody, zero. In fact, I mean, when you start adding in things like wiping out the Consumer uh, Finance Protection Bureau, why would you do something like that? Why would you want to put methane in the air? I mean, what what kind of this is all stupidity, Mark? But, but okay, let me, first of all, wait, let the, me the, the, just bring can, wait, 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 don't okay. don't sit there and talk about putting methane in the air. Oh, come on! I mean, first of all, you can go to a farm in Iowa 
and you can see methane being put in the air. You're right. And, and, and That's it's, true. And it's from, it's from a cow, not right. a President Trump. So, so this methane in the no, air thing, what are you talking about? Why would you, but why would you add to it? Why would, you, why would that be your policy? Why it's, would your it, policy be? Let's add some methane. It's not. It's, it's not, but where is okay? Again, uh, where is that in any kind of written? Let's put some meth, more methane in the air. Where does that come from? Wall Street Journal. I'll show you the article if you really want to see it. it. Is, okay, let me but, ask you this. Look, just to be precise, is yeah. the quote "Let's put more methane in the air"? What is it? No, the quote is: "Is we're going to remove the regulations." That's his favorite. That's what this is about. We're going to remove the regulations that have uh, reduced methane in the air so that we're going to increase, we're going to allow an increase in methane. That, you For know what? Right. But, but that's, that, that is helping uh, our farmers. That's helping agriculture. That's what this is all about. There, there are so many people. Yeah. You, know, you talk about, you know, Willie Nelson's going to drag his old ass out there when, when he's supporting Beto O'Rourke and have another farm aid con, uh, concert or whatever. And, and the people who are do, the, the one person doing more for farmers than, than Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp can do if they, even if they play their guitars all year long. Uh, that couldn't even match what President Trump is doing for the American farmers. You talk about farm aid. Okay, so that's coming from the White House. If that's true, explain to me why farm prices have collapsed and are on their lows. And I can show you right now. I mean, the, the grain prices have absolutely come straight down. They are on their lowest levels. Now, I'm not blaming that on Trump, but honestly, everybody just picks the numbers they want to pick. Well, we've come, we've so, come, we will, here's what we've done, and, and I don't need to get into a, a big agriculture discussion with you, but since we're here, we can get into it, because I, I do know a little bit about this, having been in Wisconsin for as long as I was before all this, and, right. and, and, and there's, what's probably, it's, it's the same problem, the, the, first of all, let's, let's take corn, for example. Uh, there is an, uh, th- this reduction in in what you call as, as grain production. Everything else is not really a reduction. It's 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 more sliding back to a level of normalcy. Because what happened is, even with corn production, corn has been overproduced in this country, and, and the reason why it was overproduced is because the the idiots out there who wanted to go ahead and and and, and put ethanol in our cars and everything else, uh, we're on an ethanol kick. So, so what happened is our Republicans and Democrats a while back, 10 years ago or so, uh, decided they were going to put in new ethanol uh, policy issue. You know, they were going to pass ethanol legislation. So then sure. su- suddenly we had to have it in our gas tanks and everything else. So suddenly the, 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 then what happened is it became a complete failure as a true energy source. But the, but the, Lawmakers had already made their money, and I know a few of them who invested in fertilizer uh, before they passed this legislation, fertilizer companies, and they made a mint off the the boom in fertilizer company stock prices, and then we're left sitting there with so much corn that we can't use that that's why we have now – you can buy a, a one-gallon cup – of Coca-Cola with its own Coast Guard for 34 cents because that's the only thing that the only thing you can do with corn now is use it for corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, which is now uh, just 
as cheap as can be. So now not only did the Enviro crazies create an overproduction of corn, they're also creating an overproduction of people drinking gallon jugs of Coca-Cola for 39 cents, ruining their health and everything else. Then also you had, I don't, I don't mean to dominate the conversation here, but then, then let's put it this way also. You had um, in Wisconsin, you had a thing called milk price supports where they were, they were paying to, uh, they were setting a certain price just to, to help the American dairy farmers. So they were artificially uh, setting the price. And now also we're having a policy where there are, there are uh, farmers being paid not to produce because, because they've, they've overproduced. So I, this whole thing about your grain pricing and this reduction is kind of baloney, to tell you the truth. Well, what you said about corn is true. But it's not soybeans, and soybeans are weaker than corn. But look, it, we this is here's what's interesting about this conversation. We can have it, and it's a good debate. And there are some things that you've said that are correct, and some things that you said that some people might disagree with. But here's what I woke up this morning, and that really blew me away, and that just really makes me angry. Why? Are people, I mean, why can't we have these debates instead of people waking up to uh, death threats against not only this woman, but against Kavanaugh as well? Yeah. Who, why would anybody want to kill either one of them? What the heck is wrong with Well, first of all, I happen to think that on all sides, the death threat thing is overplayed. I think, I don't, I think half the time, these aren't even death threats. These are people who, you They're know. They're threatening Kavanaugh, too, you know. I know. They want to kill, they want to kill him. Yeah. Listen to me. They're not going to kill anybody. They want to kill him. Yeah. They're not going to, they're not going to kill anybody. Well, no, what, well what, listen, what, I hope they don't, but I'm just telling you that there are people threatening. They're left wingers. They don't have guns. No, wait, look, they're threatening the lady as well. What are they going to threatening threatening Kavanaugh. Yeah. Are they going to stab Kavanaugh with their steely eyes? Yeah. The threats are insane. They really are. But you know what? That's not, I get it, but that's not the story here. That's just, that's just, that's just a, that's just a bunch of nonsense to cover up for the fact this woman's story is falling apart. And now the only thing she's doing is negotiating. uh, And again, let's hear her. Let's go ahead and get, get to the bottom of all this and let's hear her and, 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 and find out what exactly is the story that she has to tell. But why is she negotiating the conditions under which she's going to be asked questions? Why is she even negotiating the nature of the questions? Because I want to know – I don't want to know as much about what happened or what she thinks happened in that bedroom or where it was. I want to know how this whole thing went down in terms of reporting well, first it. First, she, she, she's doing it because she can. That's number one. Yes, yes. And, 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 and the second thing is – and, and I want to hear, here's what I want to hear. I, and it's going to be asked. Someone is going to say to Kavanaugh, when you made that statement about things that at Georgetown Prep are supposed to stay at Georgetown Prep and it's a good thing, what were you talking about? That's what they're going to ask him. So let's find out. Because he said he never went to any of those parties. Did he or didn't he? Is he lying? Because if he lies about throwing out a piece of paper 
he's going to end up not on the courts. He's going to end up in jail. Wait a minute. You mean you mean the what? What are you talking about with the piece of paper? I, I lost you there. No, I mean you can't you can't lie about littering. Okay, to the to Congress when you're under oath. Right. Don't lie. Ask Jeff Smith. You know. Don't right. Lie. And but this man's lying. He said he never even went to a party, any party. You know he did. Well, you know he, he, he did. I, He's I, lying. He, he never said he, he didn't. He never said he didn't go to any party. Well, I think you better listen to what he said. He, he just, said he never went to any party like that. Yeah, where right. Where they had the, the alcohol and so forth. Yeah, and, and, no. and that's corroborated by upwards of 60 people who have written in in support of him. Yeah, there are a thousand people corroborating her. So, you know, they're writing are there? letters. Of, I understand the letters, okay? Uh, look. All right, he wait a second. Be careful about what he says because if he lies, he's going to be in trouble. Well, listen, people, uh, even Mama K is her BS meters pinning on that one because you talk about how you know if you lie, you get in trouble. And we're watching liars running around the, the God's green earth like Hillary Clinton, who's appearing in her moo moo every three days at some consortium, okay, blathering another, on about about the FBI. And Comey's still. Wandering around the earth too, and so is McCabe, and so is Peter Strzok, and so is uh, John Brennan. All these people who lie and have lied their entire careers—they're not getting into any trouble at all. So please, how about Bob Woodward? Does he lie? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah, okay. uh, but 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 be careful though, because Bob Woodward also said that in all of his research, he's found zero evidence that there was any indication there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. But he also says that it, that's not what he was doing. He was doing something different. I know. And that Mueller has that information, and we're going to find out. But he said it. You know, he you, said it. You guys, you, got, you guys thought that Manafort wasn't going down. Manafort is telling all. Listen. Everybody's telling. Cohen's telling. Papadopoulos <laughs> is telling. Flynn is telling. They're all telling. I, I, I'm not one of those. I, I saw Manafort on TV for the first time, even during the campaign, and I said something's wrong with him. I don't think it's enough to, to send him to prison for, but I, I didn't think he was the smoothest of characters. So I'm not, don't count me among, among those people. But listen to this, though. But, I, but I Donald back to, said he's a good person. Donald said he's a good well, person. Well, he, he might he's be a good person. Right. Well, he is he's a criminal. No, he, he's, he's been, a criminal. He's been, Mark, he was convicted on things. They tried to make a run at him eight years before that on the same charges and didn't bother with it. So this is all. Okay, but now he's admitted to everything. Right. But right. He's but a money launderer. He's, he's yeah, doing that, business with the Russians. That has and no, so is Donald, by the way. That has nothing to do at all with. Donald Trump. All this stuff happened what? years ago. It has nothing to do with Trump. And he's not going to flip on Donald's Trump. He's got been nothing. doing it for 30 years. He's going to say Donald's what... Donald's a monster. He's going to say what Mueller wants him to say. All right. I need to go back to a statement you made. Because, again, one of the sure. things about... And, and, and I, I don't mind arguing with you, but oftentimes you are, uh, you are so imprecise with your language. I understand we all can be, and I get that. But when you say uh, she has a thousand people corroborating her story, I will tell no, you, I, you can, a- you can, wait, 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 you can come up with a thousand people. But I will tell you that so far, the people who were at the party that she's talking about have not corroborated her story and, in fact, have refuted it. So no, uh, they weren't in, they weren't in that room. But but there are a thousand people who signed those letters 
in support of her. So that's all. I, yeah, that's well. I mean, come on. Okay, that, that's that's not corroborating well, her story. It it's 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 backing up her character. That's what they're talking about. And I understand people are saying they're backing up his character too. And that's all good. Look, what's going to happen out of this is they're going to pull his nomination. He is not going to be nominated. He's going to be gone. Well, yeah, okay. You're, you're, so then you're Donald's going to Ben Donald's going to come up with some new name that he's going to try to push through in the in the uh, lame duck session. And so we'll see how that fight goes, and and then we'll find out where it all lands. Let me ask this you this: guy is gone. When, when you when you uh, when you talk amongst your liberal friends. And and you talk about this kind of stuff. Do you guys ever delve into the circumstances surrounding her coming forward? Like, do you ever say, hey, how come? And because I'll, I'll ask you this question and may, maybe you can ponder it or maybe you have an answer already. So she makes a claim uh, in July and then takes a lie detector test in August. Now, this is a woman who says that she was almost raped and almost and actually felt like she might be murdered okay but and obviously it's an urgent situation in her mind but for some reason it doesn't come out until now why does she wait 6 weeks because because normally when people will say uh boy i felt like i was going to be murdered and and i was almost raped by this supreme court nominee but I'm going to wait six weeks to talk about it. And in fact, I won't, I didn't, I don't even really want to talk about it, but suddenly it's leaked into the news media. Do you all ever traverse through those unanswered questions at all? Well, I actually told you this on Monday and this is as honest as I can be. I, I think she certainly wanted to, to bring all this up and she did. I think it was managed by the Democrats in the way that you've described because they are trying to, to win a battle. And so they're using her. That's fine. They're using her for a very simple reason, because of Merrick Garland. That is the underlying issue. I, I can tell you right now. And that fight is going to go on. But her issue is real. So, you know, you say, say a lot of things, but she, I, she's making her point in a way that I think by next week, uh, and you can look at the polls this morning. Uh, by significant numbers, the American people are coming down on her side against this guy. And, you know, I don't think she's lying, but I do think that Democrats are managing this. And I hope they do. I hope they manage this very well because they got to keep any right wing nut off this court. Here's the deal. First of all, and, and I love Americans. And I appreciate their opinions, but they don't have any knowledge that we don't have. And so we are in the same situation that we were before. We don't know what happened. And so these people are all they're doing is reacting. Most of the I, I would guarantee you a lot of these people who have been polled. Uh, didn't even know who Merrick Garland was until the person called them on the phone or did whatever, however they conducted these polls and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about uh, Brett Kavanaugh? And like, who the guy who was accused of rape? Oh yeah. That guy, that's not good. I don't like him. That's how these polls go, Mark. I mean, the American people, Okay, I, I yeah. agree, but do you think we're in this mess because of what the Republicans did to Merrick Garland? 
Because the answer is yes. Right, but 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 that but that's not that's not an adequate excuse to disrupt a Supreme Court nominee and to make charges against a guy that's going to ruin his life. I mean, I, that doesn't. I don't think not, that that. I don't think that. I don't think the Democrats have done enough. I feel like they're uh, playing around with this thing. I think they need to come at this. I, I hope they're very successful here. Look, it, and this is a very interesting debate. Maybe we'll have this next week, too. You know, what it is that the Republicans would like and that the conservatives would like to see happen with with a guy like Kavanaugh on the court, it's, it's stunningly dangerous for, for the entire way that this country operates. <laughs> well, and, and, honestly, dude, really? I mean, you guys yeah. keep on talking about how all these people you disagree with politically are going to bring down this government as we know it. You know, you get, you, the first time I've ever heard old hippies uh, talk about institutions and saving institutions. Our institutions are in peril. Our republic is going to be brought to its knees. Although you guys don't call it a republic, you call it a democracy, which is, it's not. I was just going to say, but, yeah. democracy is the problem. No, 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 no. Democracy it's, is in danger. Fascism no, it's not. is on the rise. No, it's <laughs> and, and, and part of that is wanting to kill either one of these people. Really. Fascism is on the rise. People? Dude, the only thing on the rise are stock prices for marijuana and the rest of the thing and wages for good old-fashioned blue-collar workers and business development for the rest of us. So I'm just telling you, man. I mean, the only, those are the only things on the rise and my, and my blood pressure talking to you. So those are, those are the things exactly. that are on the rise. Well, yeah. I'm going to bring the charts next week, so be ready. Okay. Well, uh, you make sure you do. And uh, look what you've done now. The... Uh, the Facebook is it Facebook what happened? We we kinda off or what what oh, now we're back on again. Okay. Well we don't want to make the Facebook algorithms upset. Well, you know, and before you leave, uh we talked about the corn and corn production. And uh, it was an interesting conversation there. But I want to let you know uh that we, we talked about the uses of corn for ethanol and everything else and and uh I do wanna let you know that uh corn is a good thing. And also, since you're going to about to go out and it, so is rain. So I want to make sure that we put it all together into one big, fantastic song as we send you packing out there with your cute little umbrella, with your Hillary Clinton umbrella. Right. All right, buddy. Have a See you Monday. Monday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah! My daddy spent his life looking up the sky he cuss kicked the dust saying son it's way too dry the clouds up in the city the weatherman complains but where i come from rain is a good thing good morning everybody good morning rain makes corn corn makes whiskey whiskey makes my baby yeah feel a little frisky we are live from the Discovery Design Studios. Rain is a good thing. What's going on, everybody? Good morning this morning. Our case is funny because ultimately you kind of keep asking him questions and... 
these guys just have kind of like a surface, kind of a, a, a surface approach to the whole Kavanaugh thing. It's really not about even, and I want, and Keisha's not here, so I don't want to be too much of an attacker while he's not here, but just lump him in with the rest of the crew out there, and you'll see that you notice there's very little discussion of of sympathy for the woman. You know what I mean? Like, everything about her is her as an apparatus, as a movement. And I'm not saying Mark Kaysen doesn't care about sexual assault. I'm not trying to say that. But some of the other guys out there, the people talking about this, you notice how they don't really talk about the well-being of Dr. Ford. They talk about how they're going to use this to an end because Kavanaugh is a threat to our republic. But, but, but you notice that Mark didn't say Kavanaugh was a threat to our republic because he's going to go and rape people all over the place. He, 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 he disagrees with Kavanaugh and his views of abortion and of campaign finance laws, gun control, everything else. But it has nothing to do with the well-being of Dr. Ford. And, and Mark's great to talk to because what he does is he not only has a point of view, which is good, and he stands by it, whatever, uh, but but he's he kind of drops the dime on the left wing and its motivations. Because you, you heard him say right there that this is all about Merrick Garland. It's like, oh, I thought it was about Dr. Ford being raped. No, not at all. You know, it's about Merrick Garland. This is revenge. It's like, yeah, but what about her? So you, so you don't really have these people who are coming out who seemingly are very sympathetic to her as much as they are vengeful about trying to recalculate and relitigate the election of 2016. That's what this is all about. And like it was with my situation with the whole David Hogg thing, these people didn't care about David Hogg. They couldn't give a rip about that guy. Uh, he didn't even care about the tweet. So what they cared about was trying to erase my voice from the radio and TV airwaves. And that's what this is all about because I was kicking their butts left and right day after day, morning after morning. I was humiliating them. With common sense. They couldn't stand it. These people, regarding uh, Dr. Ford, every time they bring something up it, it's, and, and talk about this case, this Kavanaugh thing, it's always about uh, wanting to keep Kavanaugh off the court and delay this and have the Senate this. But it's never about, hey, this needs to be talked about because some woman really believes she was raped or, or, or that somebody attempted to rape her. So normally it's all talked about in the context of political calculations and things like that. It doesn't seem to be talked about in any kind of uh, uh, context where they care about her as a human being. 
They care about her as a means to an end. And to me, that doesn't seem very, that doesn't seem right. But, but that's what we're seeing. And, and, and even president Trump, you know, he seems to be the one who is, who is most sympathetic to her from a, from a standpoint of wanting to hear her. I mean, he obviously wants to uh, make all this stuff, get this thing going, get this thing, the show on the road here. And I get that, but he also wants to hear from her. And boy, is he driving people crazy because they, they want him to say something really horrible or, or sexist or something. And he's not, he's being very uh, reasonable and, 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 and really actually sympathetic to her. He seems to come across, President Trump does, regardless of the fact that people are, uh, have been trolling him and, and wrongly calling him a misogynist and everything else. He seems to be the guy that's most concerned about her well-being and hearing her story. Obviously, he, again, he wants to move things along and wants, to, wants things to carry on. But the fact of the matter is these other people are all talking about it solely from the standpoint of wanting to get Kavanaugh off the court. Claire McCaskill had to, had to re- calculate her own response because you remember at first she came out and said this is a no vote for Kavanaugh but it's not because of the assault allegations and of course you know people on the left some of them were like what are you crazy I thought it was you know you don't care and and then she had to come back and say oh this is a no vote because of the assault I mean she's such a she'll just flip with the wind so you know, because even she off the off the top uh, said she was going to no vote on on Gar- take advantage of the no vote for Kavanaugh because she was going to do it. She was probably going to vote yes or have to at least to win the Senate uh, to uh, get reelected in in Missouri at a nineteen percentage point pro Trump state. She was going to probably have to say yes to him because she couldn't figure out any other reason not to. Then this comes up, but then she doesn't use it as a reason for the no vote. She uses all the other stuff. So it's, it's, it's really weird. People are falling all over themselves to come up with some reason why they think this Dr. Ford thing is a big deal, but it's never about her. It's always about the political calculations. Anyway, President Trump speaking with uh, Sean Hannity at a rally when he was uh, there uh, talking to the troops. And of course, President Trump's also, by the way, going to be in Springfield uh, tonight at 630. So I, I think you could still possibly get some tickets to get in there. Uh, I'm not going to go. I have a lot of different obligations uh, here at home. So I'm not going to go. Uh, otherwise, I would. I was going to go down to the one in Cape Girardeau, but he didn't. Um, he didn't. He passed on him because of the hurricane. Anyway, here he is with Sean Hannity before one of the rallies. How are you, uh, sir? It's an honor to see you. to the fake news media. <laughs> that was my favorite. I can't, I can't get enough of, of that handy standing with President Trump. And he's like, wave to the fake news media. And they're just sitting right there. It's just hilarious. Love it. Hello, folks. It's great to see you. How are you? Nice to see you. You nice want to sit? You want to stand? What do you want stand, to do? Stand, stand. Uh, first- Good for you, President Trump. Who the hell sits these days? You know what I mean? Stand up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Trump stand guy. I'm like that. I don't like sitting down. 
I think it's a, I think it's a probably a psychological thing for me, but I will, I'm not going to get into I'm not going to try to delve into it, but I can't, I can't sit. Sitting to me is, is way too passive. I, I, you know, that's why I've never done my radio show sitting down. I don't know why, but it doesn't give me enough of a, of an edge. You know, I don't know why I, it must be some kind of thing about sitting, but sitting seems to me, and I know you guys like, I'm not, I'm not criticizing people who sit. Okay. I'm just telling you from my point of view, why I stand. I told you the story about going to soccer games and stuff. And then, uh, and, and, <laughs> People all have those those uh, folding chairs. It's like like talking about with umbrellas. How just what a what a waste of time these things are. They, but but people like them. The umbrella to me, it's more trouble popping open an umbrella and then putting it back down than than it is. I'd rather just get wet. I'd rather just run to some place, run to my car, and run into the office, and run here and run into the store than just go. Okay, let me just take this. Hang on, let me take this out of the. Sh- I have to get the cover off of the off the umbrella, the little cover, which you know you you always lose anyway. Put that out there. Let me pop up the umbrella and then you know try to close the door and have the car door slam into the umbrella because I I'm holding the umbrella while trying to slam the car door while trying to hold whatever it is I'm holding. And then I'm going to smash it into the – and then I'm, now, now it's going to hit there. I'm going to kind of walk into the store. It's going to take me, oh, 30 seconds. Then I'm going to take the umbrella. I don't know what to do with the umbrella. So I'm going to just carry it with me or hook it onto the chopping cart. And it's going to be wet and it's making everything wet. And then i got to go back out to my car. You know, it's just it's a pain in the rear. Then, I mean, then people have these, uh, these uh, folding chairs you go to soccer games with. And they sit down in the folding chairs. And you talk about a pain in the rear end. Those things are a pain. But I don't mind. I, I put them up. Even if I don't sit in them, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, break them down because the kids are in them or Andrea's in them or whatever. And I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, but, but, but then I always, there's always somebody who wants you to sit down. Like you go to the game and you're standing there talking to them. And they're like, do you want to sit down? I'm going, no, I really don't want to sit down. No, here, sit down. I don't want to sit down. I'm going to stand here. I guess they just, maybe they just don't like to look up. I don't know. I'll go ahead and take a knee and talk to you. That's fine. But I don't want to sit. So I'm a stander. I'm not, I'm not qualified to be president of the United States, but I'm a stander. It's great to see you. How are you? Nice to see you. You nice want to, to sit? You want to stand? What do you want stand, to do? Stand, stand. Uh, first, what is your camera? Tell right. me. Right here. <laughs> you can look right here. First, you can thank Laura Ingram who's given oh, us extra. <laughs> you know, I love President Trump's realness. I love his authenticity. I love his, you know, he wants to know where the camera is. Of course he does. Because he knows he wants to speak to the camera. It's like, where's the camera? Sean's like, there's the camera. Good. Okay, let's go. Anytime tonight. Well, she's very special and she's doing well. You know what? She's doing well. She's a big supporter of yours. But what do you make of where the Kavanaugh hearings are now? There's a new set of demands that have come out. I think it's a very sad situation. He's an outstanding person. And frankly, Sean, to see what's going on is is just very, very sad. You say 
Why didn't somebody call the FBI 36 years ago? I mean, you could also say, when did this all happen? What's going on? Uh, to take a man like this and be smirched. Now, with that being said, let her have her say, and let's see how it all works out. But I don't think you can delay it any longer. They've delayed it a week already. And, and you've, been very, about, you've been very accommodating. I have been accommodating. I say, let her say what she has to say, and let's see how it all comes out. But they've delayed it a week, and they have to get on with it. Yeah, yeah I mean... And, and he's absolutely right. But notice how he was able to uh, uh, talk about this and talk about the need to move on, but at the same time remain sympathetic to her and sympathetic to her story if, in fact, she does – she's claiming she's – somebody tried to rape her. I mean that's – people should be heard when somebody says – Hey, that person tried to rape me. I completely understand that. But notice how President Trump is so frustrating to the, the news media because he's not, he's not falling for any of the, the pitfalls that could be built into this. And so it's really been fun watching the news media try to figure out what the heck's going on here in terms of uh, how can we make this all about President Trump and sexism and – they haven't been able to do that yet. But the, the latest we have now is that she's negotiating this questioning session. And uh, again, why why she is still in control of this event is beyond me. Uh, the Judiciary Committee, uh, it's, let's put it this way. It's been six weeks since she first brought up the allegation. The time for any kind of F FBI inquiry was six weeks ago, not within the past 48 hours. If they really were concerned about this and it was an issue to be taken up by the FBI, which it's not and the FBI isn't, then the situation is uh, they, they should then have done it six weeks ago. Why they didn't is beyond me. Why suddenly everybody's like, yeah, the FBI had to look into this. Yeah, but you all knew about this six weeks ago. Why didn't you want the FBI to look into it then? Well, because their goal is to delay this. They don't care about Dr. Ford. They don't, that's another indication of how they really didn't care one way or the other about her well-being or about, about her safety or about anything like that. They, if they did, they would have wanted the FBI to look into this six weeks ago when she made the claim. How did the FBI situation suddenly become a thing when it wasn't a thing six weeks ago? Why didn't Dianne Feinstein or anybody else say this ought to be taken up publicly? I mean, I think she sent a letter or something to the FBI, but publicly, why aren't they caught? They, they all knew about this, so why, why didn't they say anything about it? Because they don't care about her. They cared about delaying this. Well, if we do it now, then everything will be settled by the time the Judiciary Committee is supposed to vote on this. So they didn't want this to play out too soon. They wanted it to play out on the eve of a Judiciary Committee vote. That's exactly what they, they wanted to have happen. And now she's negotiating the circumstances and indeed even the line of questioning of her. And, and at the very least, we ought to be in a situation where, hey, uh, we're going to go ahead with this. You need to get here. You're making a serious charge against somebody. Come and make the charge and do it now. You've had six weeks to sit on this. Why you need 
four more days is beyond me, and why you need to negotiate the line of questioning is another story. And the reason why I think she wants to negotiate the line of questioning is she doesn't want questions that pertain to the issues I have brought up here, and not just me, obviously, but uh, she doesn't want to answer questions about the lie detector test. She She doesn't want to answer questions about, okay, so why did you wait this long? She doesn't want to answer questions uh, about the, the person administrating the lie detector test. Why did you have a family friend to give you the lie detector test? And did this family friend ask you about Brett Kavanaugh or ask you about the attempted rape? We don't know any of that stuff. She doesn't want to answer it. And, and so now we're going to have some hearing where she's going to be able to control the line of questioning in the hearing. And, and, and she wants to control it to the point where she says, well, uh, you could just ask me, she could just ask her about the incident, but not about any of the ancillary issues surrounding the incident. And, and, and that's, that's my concern is that none of these questions that are the questions that would most impugn her are going to be asked. And it's not that I want to impugn her. I don't want bad things to happen to her if indeed this crime did in fact occur but at some point you got to come forward and say hey uh this happened to me and be public about it and and you're the one that brought it up so let's do it you're about to affect the uh, uh the the maybe even the direction of the country so at the very least you could do is come forward and and tell us your story and don't dictate how we're going to have you tell the story or our question you know, she ought to be questioned and not have to control that but that's what they're doing so it might be thursday before she testifies. So she's in charge. And why she's in charge is beyond me. And, but President Trump is right. Let's hear her. But if she, but if she goes another uh, week without talking, they need to go ahead and, and that train needs to leave the station. Before we get to Jim Talent here, I want to uh, get you, give you an update on the 55 sets of Korean War remains that were returned by uh, North Korea. And uh, two of the 55 have been identified. Those remains were Army Master Sergeant Charles McDaniel and Army Private First Class William Jones. The identification of the remains uh, have been a big story now, but NBC Nightly News uh, didn't even mention the story. And in fact, I have a list here of what stories the NBC News guys did talk about. Airline baggage fees and uh, California's war on plastic straws. But to the credit of ABC and CBS, because you guys know I I sometimes am pretty hard on, on the news media, but they decided that this was a compelling enough important enough story that they would actually tell the story. There are individuals, and again, this is where you see, in my opinion, bias. I've talked about bias in the news media quite a bit, and and I've talked about bias in the news media being related mostly to what's not reported. Not necessarily what is reported, but what's not reported. And most of the bias in this country is in the dismissal 
of certain pieces of news as opposed to the way certain pieces of news are talked about. We have already seen plenty of it in the way it's talked about, but the unknown story in the background of news media bias normally takes place in well before you ever see anything on the air, and that's in the, in the news meetings and, and how the gatekeepers decide what they're going to say, tell story they're going to tell you, and what they're not going to tell you. Now, the North Korea and the Korean War Remains story is an important one, not only for the families, but it's also an important achievement on the part of the Trump administration. And that's primarily why, in my opinion, the NBC News guys didn't report it because they cared so much about making sure that nothing positive about the Trump administration gets out that they decided actually to uh, just ignore the story altogether. And it, because honestly, if you have time to talk about increasing baggage fees and North Carolina's war on straws, which for the 70th time we hear this straw baloney, uh, you, you'd think that that would be, you'd think you'd have time for a two and a half minute story on these two American soldiers whose remains have been ID'd. So I'm going to go ahead and, and play the story for you and, uh, give CBS and ABC credit for actually reporting the story. It's a very compelling story, and it's it's one that, unfortunately, a lot of these people who are the wives or of, of these American soldiers have passed because I think generally a Korean War veteran would be, you know, most likely in their 90s at this point. And so there are a lot of people who went to their graves never – having any closure at all uh, about their loved ones. So here's the, here's the story before we get to Jim Tallon. Check this out. It's really, really, really nice. The White House uh, today released the names of two American soldiers whose remains were among those handed over by North Korea in July. Private First Class William Jones of North Carolina was 19 years old when he was killed in 1950. Master Sergeant Charles McDaniel was 32. McDaniel's dog tag was presented to his sons in August. South Korea's president said today he'll deliver a private message to President Trump next week from North Korea's Kim Jong-un. He said Kim wants a second summit with the president after earlier pledging to dismantle his nuclear facilities. And President Trump tweeting the names of two American soldiers, the first Korean War troops to be identified from the 55 cases of remains turned over by North Korea. Army Master Sergeant Charles McDaniel, a medic from Vernon, Indiana, reported missing in action in November 1950. And Army Private First Class William Jones from Nash County, North Carolina. The remains were identified at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam in Hawaii. So good for them for um, telling us that story. And for whatever reason, NBC decided they weren't going to tell the story at all. And uh, you know what? Uh, this is an important one. And, and it's not just because it's, it's, uh, it's present. It's an achievement on the part of the administration. In fact, that wouldn't be my first line anyway. I would, I'd rather talk about the achievement for the families in having some closure uh, in their life. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, just to ignore the story because it's an achievement for uh, the Trump administration and because it reflects positively on them is something that is pretty typical of what we're seeing 
uh, with NBC News in particular. But CBS and ABC, I know I haze them quite a bit, but... When approaching an airport for landing instructions... Good for them. A pilot must call before he enters the airport control zone. Good morning this morning, fact, live from the Discovery Design Studios, discoverydesigninc.com. I think they pulled me off of Facebook for this uh, last time I played it, so I'm going to be a little careful about the algorithms. And I'm going to also get a hold of Jim Talon, who's been patiently waiting for his phone call. So I will call him, and hopefully, hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, I won't get pulled off of Facebook. How do you guys know, uh, anyway, Mark Farina, you people, you algorithm people? I thought I slipped that one past you. I thought maybe I knew a little bit more about music than you did. But nonetheless, hold on a second here. Let me just uh, get uh, Jimmy's number here. It's a great song. We are like those two mirrors steer, steaming in the rain. What a great line, huh? Very romantic. And it's raining, so think about that image. We are like those two mirrors steaming in the rain. Sexy! Boom! Jim Talent, people. Former senator. Hello? Hello, Jim Talent, for crying out loud, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Jamie. And good morning to you, Jim. How you doing? And I try and I try not to cry out loud. You know? <laughs> I've always, I've always wondered, and I, I think I, I think I looked it up once. And uh, my mom used to use it all the time for crying out loud. I never really knew yeah. where, what, where that idiom came from, but uh, you know, well, where did it come from? You looked it up. Do you remember? Uh, no, I, you know, I did. I don't know. Where the, I, I did look it up once, and and then I I think I just it was because I used it, and then I didn't know. Um, I like heavens to Betsy. Like, where'd that come from? Heavens to Betsy. You know what I mean, Jamie? I think we're happening on we, we are we are happening upon a good subject uh, for a show or a segment or something, right? That's right. That's right. Or or at least assign assign one of your research staff. To looking up various idioms and tell us their origin. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a good one. Either that or just it's it's something we just start doing some shots and look it up on our phones while we're sitting there. <laughs> we could do it that way too, I guess. Right. <laughs> All right. So what's your uh, what's your? I thought I think President Trump is handling this situation regarding uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. Pretty well. It's I know I know there people are kind of on the lookout for something that he might say and wanting to kind of jump on him on that. But I think so far he's handling this well. How are you looking at this as a former senator and knowing a little bit about how these uh, proceedings go? What's your take on it? You know, Jamie, I obviously knew we were going to talk about this, and the whole thing is so appalling that it's really hard to to even select things about it. Uh, you know, in particular to say, uh, I, I'll say a positive thing. I think that both um, Grassley and Kavanaugh have handled themselves uh, very well. I mean, you know, Grassley is trying to preserve the integrity of a, you know, a very important norm or process, which is how the committee operates. If those break down too far, uh, you really, 
you can't do anything. I mean, the system just, just seizes. And, um, and he's trying to preserve that, uh, in the face of what is obviously a very highly politicized, um, and tremendously unfair, you know, uh, just attack on the system as well as on Kavanaugh. And I think Kavanaugh's handled this well because he's focused on vindicating his, uh, his reputation and his honor rather than on the confirmation. And there's, it's almost like he's saying, look, you know, vote how you want, uh, but this is bigger than any job I may have or may get. And I'm just not going to let this stand out there. And, um, I really admire him for that. It's, it's hard. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I hope, and I believe that this will produce the right result in the sense that I, I think Kavanaugh is going to get confirmed, but, uh, we've suffered damage, uh, to the system, yet more damage, uh, to the good things about the system. And that's, I don't know that that's going to be remedied here. It could be if this is really discredited, um, then, then maybe we won't see something like this again. But um, if it's not, if it's just, uh, you know, another tactic that was used in an attempt to derail this, and that's how this is seen, then we're likely to see even more of it. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because, uh, you know, when you talk about the process, I realize there's this, there's this claim that somehow uh, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, and if he's Justice Kavanaugh, will be dogged by this his entire life and it'll it'll tarnish his uh his representation on the Supreme Court and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm what I'm hearing from you is that really this whole process, uh, just from start to finish, uh, has been tarnished by the antics surrounding this allegation and the reaction to it. So for instance we have a woman who made an allegation apparently slipped it to somebody in the Democratic Party or whatever that was summarily leaked to the press. Uh, it was six weeks ago. Uh, she took some lie detector test, and, but nobody seems to be asking any questions about the circumstances surrounding the reporting of this and how this whole thing came about. And then you had a, a clearly what was a motivation to delay, because if this were that important to these people, if this woman's well-being was that important, they would have brought this up the minute they heard about it, but instead waited six weeks before it was released. And so uh, the whole pro- process seemingly has, there's, there's so many unanswered right. questions about it. And, and, and let, me expl- uh, let me just say for a minute uh, why when I talk about process and process norms, I, I know I'm, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's not exactly the most, uh, you know, scintillating subject, uh, but really um, that's, that's what holds a representative government together. In other words, Jamie, let me go to the highest level of this. So, you know, we, what's the motto or one of the mottos of the country is out of the many, the one, right? So that we are a balance between division and diversity and unity. And the things that hold us together, the unity side of this is a common understanding of our history and very basic propositions that everybody believes in, even if they, or should believe in, even if they disagree on and mightily and very strongly on, on particular, you know, policies or actions. Right. So, um, that's really what democracy is. It's a set of norms that people agree on. So you have an election, 
you really strongly want somebody to win, but when they lose, you know, you accept the result because it was done constitutionally and everybody respects the the right of the voters to, to decide their own affairs, okay? So uh, in a democracy, how you do something is as important and sometimes more important than what you actually end up doing. And um, the disrespect shown for those process norms by the Democrats, and I don't like to sound partisan, Jamie. You know me. I have to work myself up to get partisan (laughs) in the old days, right, when I needed to. But, you know, the disruption of the hearing and now the airing of this accusation, as you say, particularly at the last moment, um, which is, and it's inherently a suspect and unfair accusation because it's occurred so many years after the alleged event, and it's almost impossible to prove or disprove uh, to, the kind, to the degree of certainty that we would like, right? I think it's been disproven, but it's, there's, it's inherently, um, you know, what a friend of mine calls a huge process foul. And that, that, that keeps us from doing anything going forward. It, it, it has a, the potential to, you know, to break up the whole system, um, which would be really bad, you know? Right. So, and it's, it's hard to fight because you have people who are supposed to be loyal to the norms who are not being loyal. And what do you do? Um, and so that's why I admire how, how Grassley's handled this. And your listeners can pick at this or that that he's done. But, you know, he's a wise guy. I like Chuck Grassley a lot. And uh, he's trying there's this 84-year-old guy who's not acting like he's that age at all. Right, right. Who's trying to hold this thing together. Uh, and that's pretty important in this process. So I think there are senators on both sides of the aisle who recognize that. Uh, not that they're all speaking up now, as they should. But So uh, I, I hope this ends up with a, a good result uh, for Kavanaugh. I've really, um, and we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, I hope it does. I think it probably will, because I think this thing is untrue. I don't know whether it's untrue in the sense that nothing like this ever happened or uh, untrue in the sense that it happened, but it was not Kavanaugh or it was not what she thought or something like that. And it's possible it's entirely untrue. I mean, we just don't know. And I don't know that we'll ever know. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's interesting when you talked about the, uh, the 84-year-old uh, Grassley. And what's interesting is that uh, the the uh, there there was this claim that somehow these old I don't know where the I don't know I don't know why the uh, why they included the, the the race of these individuals uh, I, I I don't I don't get that uh, but they said there's no reason why these old a bunch of old white men should be questioning uh, this woman and I brought up this yesterday because it was so disturbing to hear that. First of all, uh, these old white men, uh, as much as I don't really, uh, I don't like the fact that, that people are in the Senate for 40 years, but they're elected by their people. And these are duly elected U.S. senators and duly appointed to a judiciary committee. And so there are these people who are more than willing to set aside not only the fact that these guys are duly elected, uh, but also set aside their role on the Judiciary Committee just because they're men and I guess just because they're white. And to me, that's where I'm getting to how disappointing this whole process is because it is uh, 
it has revealed such crassness and, and, and disregard for even people who are duly elected. I found, I found that to be one of the most disturbing aspects of this whole thing. And there were actually some Republicans and some people who went along with that thing and said, well, the optics would be bad. Well, the, if the optics are bad, then these guys shouldn't be on the Senate Judiciary Committee anyway. Uh, but but the, the, that should, the optics uh, don't count here. What counts here is these guys on a committee conducting their role as members of the committee. You know, Jamie, you know, again, in a democracy like ours, optics do matter. Uh, it, you want to do what is right and what is honorable in a way that is uh, the most persuasive, okay, within the limits, again, of what's right. So I, if, if Grassley were to decide to have somebody, uh, you, uh, there, there are people who've suggested that he should have, like, Kelly A. Yacht in there to ask questions, and if he thinks that's the best way of presenting the case, that's fine with me. There's nothing wrong with having Kelly A. Yacht doing it. But to address your first point, um, when, when somebody suggests that um, that members of a committee are less um, truthful or you know less understanding because of their race or the, uh, in particular, it's bigotry, and uh, that it's the definition of racial bigotry is to attach a negative stereotype to somebody uh, because of the color of their skin. Um, that's what it is. And uh, so when somebody does that, I just, I just turn off the rest of what they're saying and just go right to that. That's, and that's actually weaponizing the bigotry, too. That's not just sort of sitting there in your living room and thinking this about people. That, that is making a decision... An, uh, an effective decision, a decision that affects things on the basis of that. And it's wrong. It's one of the most discouraging things about modern developments that, that people feel empowered to do that. Yeah. And, and it, t- it tells me that they have, they have gone through, that they're living and have lived for a number of years in a, in a, in a bubble or in an environment or in a domain that tells them it's okay to do that. It's not right to do that, Jamie. No, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're saying that whether you're whether you're saying it because there's there's too much uh, uh, melanin in the skin or too little, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I yeah I definitely would not make the decision based on that. I definitely would not say, oh, we have to do this because these people can't judge this because they're white. No, that's not the right reason to do it. <clears throat> but you know, if it if it's if it would present it in a way that is more persuasive, I don't I don't have a problem if if the committee wanted to go in that direction. It's a shame that they need to, uh, but that would be okay with me. But I I, I hate the underlying thing, I, and, and and it's it's very recent, Jamie. It's like the last three to five years where we're seeing this openly, and by people who are supposed to be influencers. Again, there's always been people like that, and they're out there, and now you see them on social media. But these are people that, who by position, you know, we're supposed to take seriously, and they're encouraging this kind of thinking. It's, it's wrong. Yeah. And it's coming out of the college campuses. I mean, they have whole departments that are teaching people this. Right, right. And, but my, my feeling was, at least for some, like, even like let's just take Orrin Hatch, for example. If you're disturbed that Orrin Hatch is an old white male on 
as a senator and on the Judiciary Committee, then go take it up with the people of Utah. But right now, he's a duly elected senator. He's on that committee, and they ought to be able to ask whatever questions they're going to ask. Now, let me ask you this. Do you find it curious uh, – and talk about process. Do you find it curious that she's able to negotiate the conditions under which she's questioned? Is that normal? Uh, well, within some limits, yes, it depends on whether the, you know, the conditions are unreasonable. Uh, this is an unusual circumstance. I don't think the conditions he's attached are reasonable. Uh, and I am, you know, reaching the conclusion that this is being done mostly for delay. Uh, I don't know whether she has any intention of testifying or not. Um, it certainly undermines her credibility. I mean, you have to, if, if, if you want people to believe your story, or if you have a story you want people to believe, you, you have to present a case. You have to show up. And, and when the nature of your accusation is such that the only evidence you really have for it is your own assertion, then you have to show up if you want people to believe it. If you were not prepared to do that, you shouldn't have made the assertion in the first place, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, under the, it's very, very suspect under these circumstances. Uh, in a, in a, let's just say a typical hearing, if you want somebody to show up, they can call before in and say, hey, I can't make it on that day. I have another engagement or my daughter's getting married or something like that. And it's, it's perfectly okay to say that. Now, the committee can subpoena you if they want to. And then, you know, it's just like you're subpoenaed to a court date. Um, you know, you can ask to be excused, but that doesn't mean it's going to be granted. But, um, so that's what's what was working, but that's not what's working here. There's no, there's no reason why she, she, she can show up on next Tuesday or Wednesday that she couldn't show up on Monday. None has been offered anyway. No, I, I, I don't see it. I, I think one option, one option Grassley has here is to say, no, I'm, you know, you get, you had your shot on Monday. You didn't take it. We're going to move on without it. And I would support that, but I, I'm careful about, about making judgments about the decisions he makes when I don't know everything that he's dealing with. I mean, we may have committee members saying, look, I really want to hear this person. I need to hear this person before voting, in which case, and that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of choice in that situation, does he? No. Because he wants to, he wants to get Kavanaugh confirmed. So you can't, I just would, would caution your listeners against, against judging, making final judgments about what you think about the tactics here, because we don't know everything that's going on. And I have not tried to find out. This is not something where I call out of my curiosity. I call up somebody to say what's going on, right? right. Because I don't need to know. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to pester people who are dealing with a lot already. Yeah. Well, one of these Grassley's dealing with are about 70, slob protesters eating tacos and chicken wings in his office sitting there waiting to uh, harass him. So I don't know whether you saw that video. It's like, oh, boy, people. Well, uh, you know, Jamie, look, can I say a word about protesting? Because yes. it's, it's a personal thing. But I think it, uh, people have a right, if they do it, you know, in an orderly fashion to protest. So I'll preface by saying that. And the protection of that right is is a primary objective. Okay. So fine. At the same time, I honestly, I, I don't get what they think they're achieving here, uh, in terms of actually moving public opinion. This is not the 1960s. This is so 50 years old. This whole, this whole, we're going to protest everything all the time. In those days, 
if they did it to get visibility for their cause because, um, number one, their causes were not as visible. And number two, if you didn't break into the mainstream media, nobody heard about you, right? If you, and the way to break in the ma- mainstream media was to advertise your position in a way that, that the public might view as outrageous so the media would report it, right? So you did a protest. And everybody goes, wow, a protest. That's unusual. What are they protesting about, right? Oh, they're protesting about the war in Vietnam. Maybe I should think about the war in Vietnam. But today, with all these other means of getting out your point of view, and protests have become so commonplace, I just, uh, to me, I, it's a tactic that I think uh, is largely come and gone. Yeah, I, I don't think it persuades anybody who wasn't with you already, and I think it turns off a lot of people. I, I really don't know why they do it. I don't know either. It just seems to me like it's just kind of a temper tantrum situation. It's like, yeah. you know, why, why, you know, what what is the deal here, and, and, and why are we – it's become so common – and it's just it's a it's a reaction to everything, everything that goes on. It's just one big blow up on the part of these people. It's just fascinating to me how how these folks uh, just it's almost kind of like having I always hate to compare people who are doing really vile things to children because, um, you know, a child is a child. So but but if I if I have to, I'll just compare them to like that two year old who just. Uh, sometimes in, in the terrible twos, they just won't do cooperate with anything, you know. And you, yeah, I think it's a signal to the to the in group rather than an attempt to persuade the out group. I think it's yeah. a, it's an attempt to to signal to your own people that you are totally committed to your cause, and that therefore you should be viewed as a as an especially righteous person rather than an attempt to persuade the outgroup, which is the difference between these kinds of protests and the protests of the 50s and 60s, which were an attempt to persuade people who were not already with you, right? It was part of the, a, a plan to do that. This is, I, I think, an attempt to signal to your own people that, that your life is worthwhile because you're out engaging in a very extreme form of activism for their common cause. And in that sense, it's kind of pitiful. Uh, people looking at it going, wow, you know, you're, you're engaging in this tactic which actually undermines your cause because you're trying to affirm to yourself and everybody else, um, you know, the, the, right. how worthwhile your efforts are. Well, you don't really get too many people. I'm sure there aren't too many people in uh, mainland America watching the TV and, and some guy says, honey, come here. There's a guy wearing an F Trump shirt with taco shell right. crumbs on his mouth maybe they're on to something it's like no there's very little uh sympathy that they're they're garnering there that that is for sure you mentioned something very interesting there in, uh, about the protests of the 50s and 60s because this issue actually is going to come up uh in my own situation here uh with uh some impending uh fight back on what happened to me over at 97.1 and the efforts of a state representative uh, to, po- to get me fired, really. And, and one of the arguments that we are making is that, you know, in the old days, even during civil rights demonstrations, uh, boycotts and protests were designed to change minds or to change opinions or what have you or to influence the actions of the targets of these individuals uh, or, or 
to to change something as opposed to remove it. So even as far back as the day when Martin Luther King and the civil rights protesters were protesting, they never wanted to close. They never actually when they when they protest like separate drinking fountains or they protest uh, the lack of an ability of a black person to sit at a lunch counter, they weren't. They never actually asked for these facilities to be closed. They asked for them to be more open, which is very interesting. They, they never wanted to shut a business down. They wanted to try to influence that business to change the way it operated so that it could spread. Fast forward to now, and if your goal, and, and, and we will make this case, believe me, if your goal is to silence a voice as opposed to change it, your efforts as an official, certainly as a state official, and, and your efforts to intimidate advertisers is not defensible under the First Amendment. And we will make that case, and, and actually Alan Dershowitz, of all people, will help us make it. Well, Jamie, there is a concept of um, in the law of a commercial tort yes, or an interference uh, with a business opportunity where and it, you know, look, uh, I'm not, <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've been at law school, but the idea that you're engaging in a combination or a conspiracy with the intention to hurt uh, a particular business um, is, a, is, a, is a tort, is a civil wrong in some circumstances. So now that does, you then have the interest on the other side of, uh, you know, the freedom of expression and Yes. Uh, which is obviously hugely important. And so, you know, drawing the line between those two um, is, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I'm sure that there's law on it. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if your lawyers aren't telling you that you have some kind of case here. But, I, you know, obviously, I don't want to practice law over the phone or in fact. Oh, I know. No, I know. I don't, I just, I don't I practice. Just... I don't practice law now at all. My license is inactive uh, because I don't do it anymore. So. Yeah, well, Jamie. And I was just mentioning, too, Jim, that, that, that really, so, so what we're seeing in a larger scope with the protests you're talking about, you're seeing people, really, they're, they're unhappy with the outcome of an election because they didn't clearly work hard enough to get their person elected or their person just wasn't good enough to be elected. So now their, their role is not to try to adjust to a system and even change the system they're seeing or even direct the system in a way that might be uh, satisfactory to them, they're just their goal is just to shut it down. Why else would you jump up in the middle of a hearing and just start screaming uh, as opposed to uh, you know elect somebody who might have a different point of view and maybe even vote no? You know what I mean. So so, so their goal is just simply to uh, to to silence and stamp out as opposed to change. And that's, that's an interesting point you brought up regarding the protests. One quick question then for you before we get, get away here. This is about the U.S. Senate race. I saw the CBS poll that showed Claire McCaskill and Josh Hawley uh, dead even at 45%. Uh, the margin of error in that poll was three percentage points, whatever. I was talking to a, a person on the Democratic side uh, Democratic Party side, who said that this is very concerning that an incumbent U.S. senator, Democratic Party, would be only would be tied with a challenger, uh, and 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 I and he said that's that's a concern to the Democratic Party. 
I told him, well, that's odd because there's concern on the Republican side that in a state that is 19 percentage points pro-Trump, or at least was in, in 2016, that, 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 uh, a Republican running against a, a a very unpopular for for the fourth time for for the fourth month in a row she was rated as the most unpopular Democrat incumbent running, and yet Josh Hawley and I was saying my concern is that Hawley isn't isn't doing better. Uh, so so what is your take on that? Let's let's say you're Claire McCaskill or you're an incumbent senator. What would be your take on what that 45 to 45 means? Yeah, well, it depends on a couple of things, which you'd have to be able to. First of all, let me say about polling and, and my attitude towards it, which is that if, if polling, if, if you got a good pollster and you've been living with the polls over time so that you can see, you know, changes that have occurred, you know what assumptions are behind the polls, et cetera, they're, they're a very useful tool. They're not determinative. They can be wrong, but they're very useful. If you're looking at polls from the outside and a bunch of different polls, et cetera, there's a real danger that they will misinform more than they will inform, okay? Now, having said that, uh, it, I would say it depends on a couple things. It depends on what turnout model they're assuming and whether that reflects what really happens. Okay. So, uh, you know, my explanation of what happened in 2012 with Romney, for example, we thought I was in the inside of that campaign that was going to be very close and that Mitt had a great chance of winning, but our turnout models were wrong because the Democrats turned out at a higher rate and that completely changed everything. Right. So these polls assume you have to assume because you have to, to, to pick your sample, right? You got how many Democrats do we poll? How many Republicans do we poll? How many independents do we poll? And you're, you're, you're assuming certain things about who's going to be turning out. Okay, so turnout will have a lot to say about it. And then the second thing, Jamie, is what, what issues are dominating in the minds of the independent voters or the voters who haven't decided yet? So if the issue that's dominating is do I like or dislike Claire, and with all due respect to her, she's in trouble because you're right. She's not real popular. And if you focused on the incumbent and you haven't decided that you've liked them by September, late September of the election year, you're probably not going to decide that, are you? If, if the, if the issues that they're thinking about are other things, then that, that, then they could break the other way. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So it, it, it depends on a couple of things that I don't know. Um, and, and that's, you know, as I said, I've, I've had a sense for some time, um, that I thought uh, Holly had a really good chance to win, but nothing would shock me in this, in this context. I think it's very fluid. I mean, what we're seeing with now with Kavanaugh, you're reading articles as saying that Kavanaugh stuff could affect the election. And I think it could. So, um, I just don't think we know. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'm careful about predicting in politics, having lived it for a long time right. and having seen the, having had the voters, um, you know, dispel my illusions one way or the other a lot. I, I honestly didn't think, I mean, I really was with those who thought Trump was not going to win that election. I, I was very surprised. I was pleased, but I was very surprised on election night when he won it. Oh, uh-huh. And, and you, you go back and look at it and then you can dissect it and say, oh, well, now I see, and it makes perfect, it makes real sense, right? Right. right. But I didn't think so. I mean, I, 
Yeah. It was, I, I, yeah. It was I, I had to call up several of my friends who had been telling me all summer long he was going to win, and I called him up and said, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. wrong. Well, and that, that's, that was interesting because, you know, I, I got a – I had a different perspective, uh, b- mainly because I think that that just because of our different uh, role uh, in in life. I mean, I, I have I not that you don't you're not concerned about the views of regular old Americans. I'm I'm in a position, or was in a position, and still am now, though, um, and you are too, being on the air right now. Where I'm in a position to have been able to sense. Uh, the moods and feelings of individuals because I was talking to them every day and indeed even hearing from them every day. And I have to tell you, I had no doubt in my mind that President Trump was going to win, but it was based on people I was hearing from. Like, for instance, a person would call the show uh, the day before the election or even a week before and say, I haven't voted in 25 years and I'm voting this time around. And, and that was that to me when I started hearing a lot of that kind of stuff. Or I haven't voted in ten years. Some people never voted. I mean, it was pretty amazing to me. I was like, or some people said I voted. Uh, I've been voting Democrat my whole life, but I'm changing my tune this time around. So I was hearing from those people all the time on a, on a pretty regular basis. And so at that and, point, I knew there was something going on. So. Well, and, and and it's not like to be. I'm going to be fair to myself here. It's not like I felt certain enough about anything yeah. to write columns or be a pundit saying, I mean, I really was, was very careful in everything I said publicly because I've been around this game or in this game for too long uh, to stick my neck out on things like that. But that was privately what I thought. And you're right. Sometimes your gut is, can be better than what the polling is telling you. Uh, and uh, we, we, we are, I think, there's a lot of evidence that we are in the middle of some kind of a major realignment of political uh, forces and loyalty throughout the Western democracies. And in that kind of, that's one of the reasons I say it's fluid. I think it's fluid in the short term, and I know it's fluid in the longer term. I don't know what the politics of the country are going to look like eight or ten years from now. Um, I'm concerned about it. Um, I'm, and I'm, and I am very concerned about the attitude of our influencers or what a lot of people call the elites. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're seeing it again on display in this Kavanaugh thing. It's, it's, it's at best highly irresponsible and it's going to have negative consequences. However, you know, we keep the faith, Jamie, and we just keep trying to do what's right. That's, that's all any one of us can do. Right on. All right. Well, Jim Talent, uh, again, thanks a ton for your time, buddy, and uh, appreciate you as always. And so does everybody else out there in Radio Free Almond Land. So have a good weekend, friend. Hey, same to you, Jamie. Okay, buddy. That's uh, Jim Talent, people. Yeah. That's right. Very interesting. I think... Uh, well, I wonder what it's like to be the rainmaker. I think... If I'm Claire McCaskill, I'm worried, but if I'm, if I'm Josh Hawley, I'm worried too, so. Hey, by the way, I want to let you guys know that uh, tomorrow, starting at 11 in the morning out there at Chesterfield Mall at the Macy's, it is the Mike Flamian Hot Dogs 
with heroes. This started uh, three years ago, you might remember, uh, where they held an event in the parking lot. It was just in behalf to raise money for Mike Flaming and his family. Of course, the injured officer shot during a traffic stop and remains in a wheelchair and recovering. And that was three years ago. Uh, and now the guys at Hot Dogs for Heroes, I shared the, I shared the, uh, yeah, Mickey, it's in the parking lot there, the uh, Macy's parking lot. And it's supposed to be pretty, it's pretty, it's supposed to be a fairly cool day, partly cloudy, but 73, but I, I'll take 73. Uh, take 73 anytime. So the Hot Dogs with Heroes is more of a, um, you know, it's a little barbecue out there. And they're going to have food. They're going to have all kinds of demonstrations out there. They're going to have games for the kids. And so it's going to be really cool. You're going to have uh, a lot of police departments represented. They've got a toy train ride. They've got pony rides. They've got an exotic animal display. I wonder what that's going to be. A tiger. Live music. We've got a raffle going on. I put the I put the it's on the it's on the Radio Free Almond page, the link to the Hot Dogs with Heroes, so you can check that out on the Radio Free Almond page. I just put it up there. So uh, we're gonna have uh, police departments there, fire, military vehicle displays, and it's gonna be a ton of fun. Starts at eleven o'clock, goes until five. It's at the Chesterfield Ball, the east parking lot there, uh, right around near Macy's. And this particular fundraising event is going to be benefiting Ryan O'Connor, as you know, who's the uh, Arnold policeman who was shot and is still recovering. It's been a long road back for Ryan, but he's a great guy. And his dad's a cool guy. I've known his dad for a long, long time. And uh, also Gary Glasby, who is a St. Louis police officer, was tragically injured as well. So he's recovering too. But this is uh, going to be great. So it's it brought to you by the First Responder Assistance Foundation, Code 3 Response. And supported by the Metro West Firefighters and the Monarch Firefighters Community Outreach. But there are going to be all kinds of different uh, folks represented there. So I hope you can make it out there. I'm going to pop out there in between, you know, volleyball games and soccer games and football games and and, uh, and check it out there. But it's going to be right at the uh, East uh, Chesterfield uh, Mall parking lot, uh, Macy's there. And if you go to the Radio Free Almond public page, I have all the information popped up there. Uh, on the front, I put a link up there a while back, so you guys can check that out and see, and just uh, uh, give it some support. Share it on your own pages if you can, and uh, take care as well. Um, yeah, Melissa, Tom is a great. Tom O'Connor is a great guy. I, I hope I see him out there. I haven't seen him in a long time, but uh, you know, Ryan O'Connor comes from his dad. Tom is uh, was I first met him uh, when he was with the Major K Squad. And this was back in the early 90s. And and Tom O'Connor was one of the 
best homicide detectives you'd ever find out there. Uh, I think I think probably I think uh, I think one of the uh, one of the other best ones would be uh, Joe Burgoon there in the St. Louis City Police Department. And uh, Joe, uh, oh good, Melissa, cool. Um, yeah, Joe Burgoon, who was with the St. Louis City Police Department. Joe Burgoon. Before I get to Tom. Because uh, I, I love telling these stories because I, I have so much respect for these guys, and, and it's uh, pretty amazing. And, yes, Scott, uh, Ryan was the guy who was shot in the back, uh, had the, 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 the guy in the perp had a gun. But anyway, the uh, Joe Burgoon was, uh, I think, the, the head, if not the head, he was uh, one of the mainstays of the St. Louis City Homicide Squad. And in the early 90s, it was like a bloodbath anyway. So these guys were very busy. And Joe Burgoon, his brother, Charles Burgoon, is a priest. And not only is his brother, Charles Burgoon, a priest, but Joe and Charlie are twins. So Joe Burgoon became a police officer and Charlie became a priest. And... Because Joe Burgoon was so good at extracting confessions from these criminals, they they actually uh, called Joe Burgoon the priest because he was so good at extracting confessions from the perpetrators. It's kind of a funny little story, but these these two guys are twins, uh, and it, it's, it's a pretty great little uh, family story. And uh, it is a, he's a Joe's a good guy, but the other really fantastic guy is, is Tom O'Connor. Now Tom did work for the city police department at one time, and and before he became a homicide detective uh, in Maryland Heights, and he was and he was on the uh, major case squad. Uh, Tom O'Connor was with the bomb squad with the St. Louis. City Police Department, and that was back in the seventies. And the uh, the bomb squad was amazing. And, and there's my mother in law, Kathy's there. Uh, Charles Bakun also had the honor of him marrying us. So he he made, he married Andrea and I at St. Gabriel's Church, and he's pastor there. And I think that he has since retired, I believe. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Charles is the was the pastor at St. Gabriel's Church. A- anyway, uh, Tom O'Connor was on the St. Louis City Bomb Squad. This was back in the 70s. And you guys recall back in the 70s, of course, all these guys were blowing each other up with pipe bombs. And you had the Mansion House explosion. You had the Michaels and the uh, Leisures and all these guys, uh, you know, Blowing each other up, they weren't very good at it because because they they were they were mostly guys. He'd put a pipe bomb out there, and well, they were good enough to maim people. But I think I think the one big uh, success was when they were following uh, Michaels down Highway Fifty Five, and they had a remote control bomb on his car, and they blew up his car. 
while driving along the highway. That was a big victory for them. But uh, but even then, it was a little bit of a, a hapless venture because I think they some the, the the debris flew about. I don't. I don't. I'm just you know. But yeah, they they were they were definitely you know blowing each other up and 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 uh, and 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 Tom was busy, but he was really good at that. And then he was with the Major K Squad, and I first met Tom O'Connor when I wa- was well. I think I had known him because of some other stuff going on. But the the first big case that I worked on uh, was the. Uh, killing of Elizabeth McIntosh on the grounds of Covenant Theological S- Seminary. And she was uh, an immigrant from Ireland, or Scotland, I'm sorry. And she was going there to get her uh, divinity degree and become a minister, a Presbyterian minister. And so she, to pay her way in the, in the, in to, uh, at Covenant, what she would do is, um, yeah, Tom Callanan, yeah, all those guys. They were blown. They were. You, got, you couldn't open a car door among these people down there in uh, South St. Louis without it blowing up on you. But yeah, so so anyway, Elizabeth McIntosh was murdered in 1991, and she was a seminarian at Covenant Theological Seminary, and she was. Uh, she was the had paid her way through school by doing custodial work and this this case still bothers me and i i know for a fact it still bothers tom o'connor and and she was uh she was i i almost at one point i wanted to write a book about this uh and and the people who told me that the book wouldn't really work out said that there's no end to it because they haven't arrested the guy yet. And they haven't, but I'll get to that in a second. So anyway, so she's making her rounds, and apparently she had some guy, somebody, they believe this was a sex crime. They believe this was a crime of passion for a number of different reasons. Uh, but it was one that, that was because of the way that she was killed uh, and and it was a, a violent one, so she's running around doing her rounds in the in a couple of the bathrooms there at Covenant, and whoever killed her was standing. And I'm not giving out any information that isn't already publicly available, so I don't. I'm not. I'm not screwing up a case or anything, but. They, uh, whoever killed her was standing in a stall on top of one of the toilets waiting for her to come into this, another stall to clean it, was hiding in there because what they did was they reached over the stall and strangled her with a cord. So they basically hung her in a, in a stall and 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 they believe that this was not a random thing. There were there were people with covenant, and this is one of the problems I had with these people at the time. They were it was a very interesting case, and the reason why it makes this more interesting to me is because of the religious aspects of the of the actual coverage of the case. 
so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And then Doug Childs is going to be on at eight thirty. But I want to tell you this story because it's it's pretty interesting. So, uh, she was murdered, and it was uh, around seven, a little after seven at night. They pinpointed the time because they were doing her, you know her rounds and what people knew of what her situation was. And she had. Um, they knew that it wasn't just some homeless person because the, the, the school was trying to claim it was just somebody off the street uh, who just happened to be caught in the you know they murdered her because they were caught you know trespassing or something, which was complete baloney. The police didn't believe it for a second, and instantly Tom O'Connor knew that it was somebody she knew. It had to be somebody she knew, somebody who knew how she operated, knew her schedule, knew everything about how her evening would play out, and knew also enough that had they been wandering around that it wouldn't have raised any eyebrows because they were part of the seminary. So they, they, they knew that this was a situation where she was stalked and murdered and, 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 and whoever did it knew her and she knew who it was. So uh, Tom O'Connor and those guys started investigating, and it turns out that uh, Elizabeth McIntosh had indeed confided to a couple people. She was a little scared of a couple people of a person on on campus, and this was a person who was married and had kids, and he was also a seminarian, but who had they had kind of a relationship, and they had a thing going. And uh, and and uh, things weren't working out to his satisfaction, and there were some things going on. And this person was afraid. This is what the homicide detectives came to was was likely afraid he was going to be exposed by her uh, for having this relationship with her when he's a married seminarian. So, so they they were concerned about that. The problem is there were a lot of people who knew a lot of things, but they didn't speak to the police. They refused to talk to the police. Uh, and, and, and part of that was because uh, this was a very I, – I, I wouldn't I, – I it it's, a, it's a Presbyterian seminary, uh, but, they, but these individuals had a fairly common thread running through them, and that is they didn't trust the police. They didn't trust outsiders. For better or for worse, they just didn't trust him. So they very few people talked to them, to the police, and would cooperate with the police. Uh, and it might have been out of fear or whatever, but they uh, they wouldn't speak. They weren't cooperative. Tom O'Connor was very frustrated by all of this, as was the rest of the the squad, because they knew that people knew something. And Covenant, there are a couple reasons why. First of all, they, they, they claimed that God would be the one that would take care of all this, that the police weren't the ones who were going to be able to deal with this, and that God was going to take care of it. I mean, literally, that's what people told Tom O'Connor, that, that, that don't, we don't need you. God will, will take care of this. But on, against the backdrop of all this was a current uh, issue with the city of Creve Corps that was going on with Covenant and they wanted to expand. They, they had a lot at stake in terms of the, they, they were going through a huge expansion uh, project 
and they were going to expand their uh, their realm there. Uh, and, and so there was a lot kind of at stake in terms of Covenant's reputation at the time. And had it been shown that somehow there was some murder and it was an inside job on campus, there was some belief among the hierarchy there that it would jeopardize their their standing. It would jeopardize their expansion. So there were some people who believed that that they were that there was a motivation on the part of the hierarchy there to keep this quiet, to keep this from becoming a big thing. And sadly enough, it did keep it from becoming a big thing. Elizabeth McIntosh uh, and her death, her murder in that bathroom at Covenant Theological Seminary largely went uncovered. It was covered the week of, maybe the week afterwards and maybe on an anniversary, but uh, she's just been lost to the world. And also... She had the uh, – her dad was a very high-up member of the Anglican Church in Scotland, in England, I think Scotland. And also she was kind of – she didn't have family She would, here. She didn't have family here. She wasn't tied to anybody in particular except for friends. And she um, – so she just was murdered and forgotten about. Sad story, really. But Tom O'Connor, to this day, will tell you he thinks he knows exactly who did it. And Tom O'Connor was really good at, at, at picking up on these things. And, and, and uh, he's the one who told me that, uh, that, that he, he, one of the tip-offs to him thinking this guy did it. This guy's now a minister somewhere in California, I think. But anyway, he... Uh, he and I had trouble getting information. I, even some of her friends didn't want to talk, and I understand. And I understand mistrust too. I, I get it. Uh, but uh, there were people who, uh, and she, uh, one woman, she has since passed away. Uh, I knew that she knew something, but she just wouldn't talk about it. And I don't. I still this day, I don't know why, but she passed away. Anyway, so. Tom said, you know, here's, he, goes, Here, he goes, here's how I know who I, th- I think did this. And um, I, uh, I, I had him, and this is what a lot of detectives do, is they have a person who is a person of interest kind of just uh, write down, you know, their whereabouts in a 24-hour period that includes the murder time. And uh, write down their whereabouts and, and figure out, you know, how this what, what they were doing. So, so tell me from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you went to bed, tell me what your day was like on paper. So this guy did write, did cooperate and did write it down. And uh, and 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 O'Connor said one of our big tip offs is these people who do these kinds of things. Um, always give themselves away. It's not always completely reliable. It's, uh, sometimes it's not even enough uh, to arrest you. But uh, you hear about police officers saying that the person made statements that incriminate themselves. This is kind of a statement that would incriminate a person. But they'd have to have more than, than that to, to make an arrest. And, and plus, there was so much 
uh, there was so much at stake because this was a very reputable, wealthy seminary. It was like a huge thing. So you had, if you were going to arrest somebody from the seminary, you had to be absolutely right about what was going on because there was that much at stake. They probably would have made an arrest in any other situation, but because the seminary and its hierarchy and, and represented a very powerful element uh, of the of church life here and and everything else, they I think were uh, were cautious. That's my opinion about it anyway. So Tom O'Connor said, you know, one of the dead giveaways is whenever we have them uh, tell us what they were doing, a person who usually is the one who committed the crime will be uh, very broad about what they were doing throughout the day. But at the time the actual crime is committed, they'll know exactly where they were and exactly what they were doing. And so uh, Elizabeth McIntosh was murdered uh, at about seven. They they pinpointed the time. I don't know how they do this. They do this with, through forensics and timing and, and and you know whatever. But she it was around the seven twenty past seven thirty area that they pinpointed the time because uh, people saw her at one look. You know, so they, anyway they pinpointed. That's how they they pinpointed the time. And it just so happens that this guy wrote down his entire day and and it was and it was very broad what he was doing so around here in the morning i did this blah, 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 blah. then suddenly out of nowhere in this 24 hour diary the only time he was ever absolutely precise about where he was and what he was doing was at 720 715 through 7:30. He knew he he could he could he wrote down everything he was doing to the to the minute detail. And that's when Tom O'Connor said, that's when I knew this guy did it. Because these guys are always dead giveaways. Now and again I put it out one time I told you this story before but um I I'm, I'm I hope none of you are planning on murdering anybody. So I'm 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 to the murderers out there, I just gave you a tip, but I'm just telling you that's how they catch these people because they're because people who commit these crimes and stuff that if they're never that 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 smart because they're, they're human and they'll and they'll almost always give themselves away. And to this day, Tom O'Connor believes he knows exactly who this guy is and he knows exactly what's going on. And 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 that's I think Tom's biggest. Uh, regret is that he hasn't able to hasn't been able to, to to nail this down. He's since retired. He went on to become chief of the Merrill Heights Police Department, and his son, of course, Ryan, went on to become a, a great police officer there in the city of Arnold. And so, back to my original point: Mike Flamian, hot dogs with heroes, uh, benefiting Ryan O'Connor from the Arnold, Missouri Police Department, and uh, Officer Gary Glasby from the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, St. Louis Police Department there. Um, and that's going to be starting at 11 o'clock at Macy's, uh, right there in the eastern portion of the lot. And so I will see you there. I'm going to pop by there when I can. But it's going to be, be in between games, so I can't really give you time. But nonetheless, you're still going to have a ton of fun anyway. So let me give uh, Doug his call here. Doug's been a busy guy, man. He's been um, 
painting and getting involved in all kinds of stuff. Had his Facebook thing pulled down. And so it's been uh, friggin' crazy for him. Let me just find his, his, uh, his phone number here. It's the 512 number that I always uh, get wrong. Here, you know what I'll do? I'll find it on my Skype list here and just call it. Let me see. There it is. Boom, 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 boom. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Better be it. So anyway, I uh, love Tom O'Connor. Good man. And Ryan, our prayers continue for the O'Connor family. That's for sure. Doug Diles. They're in beautiful Austin. Jamie. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Good, big dog. What's shaking? Yeah. Hey, what happened to your... Is your Facebook page still down? Still down. They permanently disabled me. Because, because I have this thing called um, freedom of expression. I think that's uh, free speech or something like that. And uh, they don't like it, man. So um, I'm telling you, I told you this earlier. Get ready. It's coming soon to a theater near you. I mean, what are they, what are they claiming you did? Uh, nothing. No claim, no explanation. It's, uh, I just went to this general page. Uh, it says if, you, if you're seeing this notification, you think it's bogus, click here. And it said um, you violated our Facebook policies, which is uh, having multiple uh, accounts or uh, having a fake uh, name on your account, or you harass or spam people. Bro, I'm not a harasser. I'm not a spammer. I'm not a hey look at me. I put my crap on my my personal page, and we have a we have a company page for Clash Daily. Uh, it's still up and running for now, um, but uh, on my personal page, it's pictures of my grandkids, pictures of my artwork, uh, maybe a funny meme, and then I just share uh, Clash's daily chum slick on my wall. So I'm not running over to groups. I'm not trolling anybody. I ain't doing any of that crap. And uh, so anyway, we appealed it, and they reinstated my account. It's like, okay, maybe there's one or two over there that's uh, not pathetic and has common sense and uh, can tolerate a difference of opinion. And within, I don't know, 12 hours, I was disabled again, and uh, we appealed to the numbnuts over there. And uh, now they're not answering, Jamie. They're not answering us. <laughs> That's just unbelievable. It, 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 well, it's 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 liberalism, man. Yeah. Uh, their their worldview doesn't make sense. It doesn't work anywhere. It's been tried. Uh, they can't make memes. They can't put uh, forth rational arguments. They're not funny, and so uh, they're losing people who's got a lick of sense. And so, what they got to do? is just start banning things, Jamie. We're banning things. <laughs> We're banning things. And it is, if I was a liberal man, I'd be so embarrassed that, it's, that, uh, that my cause, my worldview, uh, my ideology is forced uh, away from reason, argument, and debate to banning. It's so pathetic, so pussified. They're the personification of... What I wrote about my book, Pussification, it's, it's really, really a sad, sad day, man. But, uh, you know, hey, onward Christian soldiers, I knew this was coming. I mean, we've seen it, and I'm not even, I'm not even close, Jamie, to like Alex Jones. Oh, I know. I don't have conspiracy theories. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, uh, I know, I know who was the third, <coughs> the third man on the grassy knoll. <coughs> 
Now, I'm not going around doing that kind of crap. Nobody's going to pitch me as some character in a Homeland uh, uh, series and stuff as being a, a right-wing nutty zealot. And um, but they're coming. They they got Alex Jones. They got Gavin McGinnis. They got me. And uh, I just got a, uh, a note uh, via text from my buddy, who's who's very active, kind of in the underground political scene. But he's uh, he's everywhere you want uh, him to be. And uh, he's saying that they're starting to lop off uh, just verbal and very vocal, but same you know type cats that are uh, uh, just great conservatives and libertarians are starting to, they're doing a purge, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I, because here's the thing, and I'll never forget that you, you, you told me a while back and again, I've been on your Facebook page. I mean, it is, it's, it's just you and your, your family and some fun stuff you're doing and your grandbaby and everything else. And it just is. And, and I think, uh, I, I hope it wasn't because you killed that, uh, <laughs> I, well, I did see that one post you did, which was great by the way. That uh, had that uh, badass snake you took out because it was too close to your the, to the to the kids' uh, outdoor um, swing set or whatever it was, but you took that baby out, and then you said it was uh, that that it was not a hipster necklace because it had all these you know and it looked like it was the the colors of Africa or something. I don't know what it was, but um, it was pretty funny. That was a big that was a big snake, dude. Yeah, it's uh, a coral snake, and um, you know everybody in Texas they're hip to the diamondback rattlers, and uh, and and we get, you know, they're scary because first of all they're shaking a rattle at you, and they're they're coiled like a spring, and they've got a wicked attitude, man. Uh, the coral snake is is pretty much a kind of a kumbaya venomous snake. It's a neurotoxin which differs from the the rattlesnake. The fangs, I believe, are in the back of the jaw. So it's not really aggressive, but it, uh, it's, it's the second most poisonous uh, snake in the world, uh, second only to the black mamba over in Africa. And, um, yeah, it'll jack you up. And the one that I killed, most of them are, you know, pretty small snakes. This one was uh, nearly four feet long. And when I say small, most of them, you know, maybe 12 inches, might get an 18-incher and stuff. But we just had massive floods. Uh, here in central Texas, and uh, I guess it uh, this thing came out to dry out, and there it was right over by uh, the picnic table in this plotty yard that our <laughs> the kids uh, are uh, known to frequent. Wow! Yeah, it was that was a good that was but a it's great beautiful person. snake though, man. Oh, beautiful yeah. snake! It really is. It's it's it was amazing because it actually did look like a necklace. I mean, it looked, I mean, well, it looked like something you'd kind of wear around your neck and and be as a hipster, you know. But anyway, yeah, I had I had I had one nub nut say, "Why did you kill the snake? What did it do to you? It it's, it it eats rodents." And it's like, listen, man, if there's anything that slithers, unlike Adam in the Adam and Eve narrative, uh, I'm not going to sit there and let it talk to my grandchildren. Offer it apples or potentially bite it, their toesy woesies. That thing is going to get clubbed to death. So. Oh, well, yeah, it's, and it's poisonous. So anyway, uh, you warned me a long time ago because it was and it was prescient, unfortunately. But you were like, uh, to watch out for Facebook. Don't invest all of your new 
enterprise in Facebook because they can pull that down and suddenly you're out of business. So, uh, and then, then, then this happens to you, but man, it's uh, crazy. Hey, so let's get into a little bit. I, I need to, cause a couple of Texas stories are important here. The first one is this Beto O'Rourke, uh, statement about the, uh, that, that illegal immigrants are, are, are basically needed to run cotton gins. It's like these guys, these, these liberal white people are always so crazy. Well, even when Barack Obama was like, who's going to clean our hotel rooms? You know, it's like, what is it with these people and their, and their description of illegal immigrants? It's like, what the hell, man? Yeah, if if, uh, if you or I said that, you know, we'd be racist, people would be protesting, they'd be tearing down Jamie's Facebook page, trying to find mine that doesn't exist anymore because it had already been eradicated uh, by the thought police. But first of all, uh, Beto, uh, he's running against Ted Cruz, and everybody thinks he's, you know, people are talking about him being Kennedy-esque, you know, and kind of like the... The, the white knight in shining armor that's yeah, going right. to come save the liberal party. First of all, he's, he's not Hispanic. That's a, that's a Hispanic nickname. Uh, he's, he's a white Irish guy that appropriated a Hispanic nickname. And I like his signs down here in Texas, Jamie. They're not, they're not blue to, you know, denote that he's a Democrat. Uh, they're black and white. Oh. You know, so the confused person in the middle uh, is dazzled by his toothy grin and the, his ability to ride skateboards into venues to do his speeches. Oh. But yeah, um, uh, <laughs> he, he definitely let the, uh, the cat out of the bag in regards to, to what he uh, thinks of um, Hispanics. And, and you're correct, man. It tells a black guy uh, that illegal immigrants are needed to run cotton gins. And um, yeah, how does, how does Obama get away with saying, you know, who's going who's gonna to pick your oranges, mow your lard? mow your yard or clean your hotel room uh how does biden uh take cheap shots at illegal uh immigrants there's quadruple standards that's the only way that beto obama biden and who's that chick that was running uh for congress that called um her asian uh adversary who's also running uh you're gonna vote for me or you're gonna vote for miss ching chong uh-huh. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I saw that. Now, so here's the thing, though, and, and uh, maybe you have a different take on this down there being close to it, but I keep seeing these polls that claim to show that Beto uh, is going to uh, win the race. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way in Texas that Texans are going to oust Ted Cruz from the U.S. Senate it just doesn't seem plausible to me, especially since there's also news that you have up on Clash Daily about a local race that actually um, uh, involved a Republican flipping a Democratic district for the first time in 139 years. So at least in this district there, the Senate District 19, uh, a Republican flipped a district that didn't hasn't voted for a, a Republican since Reconstruction. So the the trend doesn't seem to be going in the way of a Beto or a liberal to me. Well, again, I mean, uh, if you think back a couple of years in the uh, in the general election in regards to uh, Texas politics and even uh, Fox News reporting, I'll never forget, you know, Megyn Kelly uh, kind of with her little uh, insidious glee was reporting how 
it looked like Texas is now, you know, flipping to go for Hillary. Of course, that was wrong as hell. I'm like, uh, okay, some folks maybe down in the valley will, and uh, definitely know some some unshorn liberal hippies in Austin that's going to do that, and some kooks uh, down in downtown um, Houston that are going to go for Hillary. But that's that reporting is complete hogwash, uh, and we we knew that. I knew it internally that um, uh, that they were lying to us. And again, it was not just CNN and Rachel Maddow uh, over at MSLSD. It was also, again, Fox News. Chris Steyerwalt, Jamie, uh-huh. he was predicting. You know, Carl Rowe was saying it's looking bleak. It's like, that's a bunch of bullshit. There's no way that uh, Hillary, she, she rocks up to Texas, and there's like a 1,000 people show up. Trump does it. They're filling, you know, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, uh-huh. that kind of stuff. It could be the same thing, uh, you know, with Cruz. It's here comes the smoke and mirrors. Here comes the, you know, the. Uh, but I don't know, man. All that said, if I was Cruz and if I was somebody that cares about freedom, the Second Amendment, closed borders, uh, a burgeoning economy, uh, those kind of things, uh, I definitely wouldn't rest on your laurels because. The left's trying desperately to take over the state of Texas. California's moving here, and they're bringing their stupid socialism and their politics. Yeah. And this is their little glory boy that they're propping up, and they think that this cat, you know, is Mr. Cool. And uh, he's just, again, he's just a die-in-the-wool democratic socialist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And then, okay, also in Texas, and speaking of this race, You've got uh, this to me is just so, uh, you know, I've always known Willie Nelson to be kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a hippie type, uh, you know, kind of a loosey, loosey goosey, you know, country man. And I get it. Uh, but how does a guy who performs with guys like who for Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard and all these fanta- Johnny Cash and all these people who have uh, been uh, just as straight up common sense as you could possibly get. How does a guy like Willie Nelson decide this is going to be the time for him to take a stand in a U.S. Senate race? What the hell's wrong with this guy? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, well, first of all, uh, Willie's done tons of weed, and it might be now, and plus he's getting up there. I thought he died actually 18 <laughs> years ago, but apparently he's still alive. Or they're doing one hell of a weekend at Bernie's skit with Willie. Which, um, which wouldn't be surprising because last time I saw one of his shows at Austin City Limits, uh, he was barely hanging on, man. Bare, I mean, this guy's wheezing, uh, lack of energy in his songs uh, that require energy, you know, not just some kind of love ballad. And, uh, and he would frequently stop and just let the audience sing it, and then he'd come back in and oh, <laughs> sing yeah, a couple of lines. Right. Back away from the mic, let them sing. And then he'd come back and on the road again. You know, it's like, you ain't going to be on the road too much. But he's always been a liberal, always been a hippie. And uh, like you said, it, it wasn't, you know, in the egregious sense of the word. But to go on The View in this divisive day, uh, and listen, Willie, the Democrats that are around now are not the Democrats that were insanely tolerable uh, back in your day, it's a completely different monkey. And to come and do something that divisive when you have a lot of crossover, strong conservative base that rocks up to your weed-infested uh, concerts on the weekend, I think it's a stupid way to go out, but that's just me, man. 
Yeah, no, I, I do too. It's just because because there's so many Texans who uh, love the guy. I just don't see why you'd even bother uh, getting immersing yourself in in that stuff. I, I I just don't get it. All right, and so now on to the Kavanaugh accuser thing. I, I do notice a trend here, and it's a very interesting one. Uh, and, and I think that it doesn't bode well for Dr. Ford. Uh, the other day, of course, I saw Megan Kelly on Chris Matthews' show, and there, there must be some desire to keep her quiet around there, either jealousy or what have you. And I've never really been a uh, a fun a, a big lover of hers. I, I in fact, she was stomach turning during the uh, 2016 election, and I, I just had very little patience for her. Uh, and then I figured on to NBC where people are going to make her pay for having been on Fox News and so her show tanked. But she did go on Chris Matthews' show, uh, probably forced on Chris Matthews, by the way. But she did go on the show and said basically, hey, um, this woman needs to step up and talk. She needs to say something because uh, just hiding and doing this kind of stuff isn't isn't the right way to go. She need, if she's If she's telling the truth – she needs to get out there and take care of business and, you know, um, and, and get the show on the road here. And that was interesting coming from her. Then you have Koki Roberts with NPR saying the same thing. Then you have Mika Brzezinski saying the same thing. It's like, what is going on with some of these women who otherwise are all about Me Too and all about this and all about that? There must be something that in terms of their um, – female instincts that are telling them that something is up here. Yeah, and um, uh, Kavanaugh's accuser, also, you know, virulent anti-Trump activist, wears the pink uh, pussy hats, and what else did uh, she march, uh, marched against, uh, you know, or marched for open borders. It's been a, a, a long-time uh, liberal activist, and... Um, you know, I feel for people that uh, seek uh, public seats because this is the Derry Gurman. If you had any kind of uh, uh, fumbling in the back seat of a 57 Chevy trying to get your Bob Seger night moves on with the girl and it was kind of an awkward, <laughs> awkward moment, then it's going to revisit you 36 years later and uh, completely, you know, uh, possibly uh, derail your, your professional aspirations. You know, whether it's in service to the public or in a professional sense or, or what it's, it's, it's just, you know, but anyway, uh, going back to Megan and Micah and, uh, Koki, I think, uh, you know, probably they have, uh, been on the receiving end of, of, uh, real mooks who did real things and, uh, they weren't ashamed to call, uh, uh, BS on, on something that's real. And to me, you know, if somebody's accused like that, man, come forward, uh, make your case. If, if you are, if it's watertight, if what happened happened to you, then why are you lurking there in the shadows? Because you go out in public, uh, to make your big protest and stance against Trump. You'd figure that if this thing was as, uh, she said it was, uh, with Brent, then she would have the, the wave of to, uh, to confront him. I would. If, uh, if, you know, if I was a girl and some guy did that to me, uh, and it was, and it was real and, uh, it was sexual assault and or rape, then, uh, oh, we're going to, we're going to dance. We're going to go toe to toe and it's going to be in, uh, you know, it's going to be in public and I'm not going to be ashamed about it. But if yeah. it's BS, 
and uh, and you know it's BS, and it's and it will uh, alter your life's glide path. Yeah, I'm going to hang out in the shadows a little bit and let Feinstein, who, by the way, uh, she didn't want to hear Juanita uh, Broderick's um, uh, sexual assault and rape allegations when they occurred uh, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, interestingly enough, too, I, th- I think that uh, all three of those women we just talked about there and mentioned there, I think the common thread is that uh, they they certainly believe that the actions of Dr. Ford and all of her enablers actually are doing more harm to real sexual assault victims or harassment victims or abuse victims uh, than than anything else because she's first of all so seemingly so suspicious in her movements and her actions that you know she's she's casting doubt on on her story and and, she, and it seems to me that her, her allowing herself to be used uh, politically also is uh hurting her as well but in in the end what happens is it it hurts victims who really do have a story to tell and who really have been abused and and, and yet and and it, and it makes everybody look like they're up to something when in fact Dr. Ford's the only one that seems to be up to something here. So I can see why uh, Megyn Kelly and Mika and the others are all saying, hey, there are some real people with real problems and real complaints to make. uh, And you running around acting like, you know, you don't want to come talk or or you're waiting for the maximum amount of hurt to a Supreme Court nominee is not doing. Yeah, I mean, like how many how many times did the FBI uh, uh, poke around on Kavanaugh? I think, what, six times or something like that? They did deep dives into his past. None of this came up. Uh, if she was uh, uh, molested and or raped or whatever, uh, why wait 36 years? Um, you know, this guy's been a public figure for many moons, and uh, she had, <laughs> she just, you know, she just waited. Here's the card. You right know, on. until until the they activated her, and uh, I think it's I think she's going to walk away with egg on her face. I don't think anything happened. I think uh, again, this is uh, desperation angels. It's a grasp at a, a straw, and uh, like uh, and I think again, it diminishes like you said, uh, real true sexual molestation, assault, and rape claims. All right, brother, how are your uh, pieces of art going, man? Bro, you, you wait. Uh, just had another one imaged uh, yesterday for mass production. It, the original sold immediately for for uh, a bunch of money, and um, but we've got we got another one that's coming out that's going to blow your mind. The wanted poster is doing really great. The Mister Mrs. Uh, Trump poster is uh, doing great. People can go to DougGiles.art and click their mouse and melt their plastic and. Um, and I, I guarantee it'll terrify snowflakes during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, I love it. And then you have the uh, you have the Raquel Welch one available as well. And then you have the uh, the Trump one poster is just so cool. I used, like I said, uh, eventually what I would like to do at some point, uh, and I'll I'll help you with it. I guess is 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 turn these things into those uh, poster stickers so that we could start putting them on. You know, with within reason, and not not as long as it's legal uh, to start to paste them onto light poles. You know, like those other people do. Yeah, no, we've got a. Uh, they're going to be uh, print shirts, buttons, coffee mugs, stickers, uh, 
all kinds of stuff. We're trying to get them into uh, local, state, and national Trump rallies where you see these big-ass signs coming through the crowd, wanted uh, Donald J. Trump guilty of making America great again for 2020. Yeah. And uh, but again, wait till you, wait till you see the, the the new one coming. I'll text it to you uh, once we finish this interview. Okay, all right. Um, and yeah, we will. Uh, the only thing I'm I'm and I want to look at this poster because because I don't because at first glance, I don't want people thinking and 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 um, you know because this is I don't want people to. And the more we get this out there, the more familiar people uh, get with it. But the uh, one for 2020, I hope people don't misconstrue that because I'll, I'll put one of these bumper stickers on my Jeep, man. And, 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 but I don't want people to misconstrue that as somehow um, it's a negative thing for President Trump. But it doesn't look like it because I love it. I, I love it because it says guilty of MAGA. So that takes everything out of um, – puts everything into context as to what it, what it really is. So. Cool. Well, the cool thing is, is that if liberals see it, uh, most of them don't get humor, and uh, they'll think that you're anti-Trump, and so they won't smash your win- window out of your Jeep because uh, they, you know, they'll think he's anti-Trump because they want to put him in jail. It's like, no, he's just guilty for making America great again. And then your your Trump buddies will love it, and they'll leave hundred dollar bills under <laughs> under your wiper blades. <laughs> I love that too. That would be great. All right, brother. Well, uh, keep me posted on uh, your latest piece of art, but also keep me posted on what's happening with Facebook, all right? You bet, buddy. Stay okay, ready. Man, Have a good weekend. You too. Take care. Yeah, I, I'd put, definitely put one of these uh, Trump wanted uh, stickers on, on my Jeep. That'd be freaking great. It's really a good, it's really a good, good piece of, of propaganda. I don't mind calling it that because that's, that's what it is. And it, and it makes pe- puts people on notice that uh, we're ready for 2020. So it's, it's going to be uh, going to be a good one. Emily, um, I don't know. Is, is the latest podcast not up or is it, is I thought we had our podcast up No, Yeah, should be. I think I'm, let me just, let me just see it at radio free Almond and see what's up. Uh, Cause it looks like, you know, if I go to, let me just see, see here real quickly. I'll give it another um, shot here real quickly. Uh, it should should be up. So um, let me just see. Uh, <laughs> um, hold on. I, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm gonna, I need to check this out. Not since Tuesday. Okay. Um yeah, we've been sending them. You've been sending them, right? Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, they should be up because because Matt is sending them. Um, uh, so let me see here. Uh, September eighteenth. What was that? What was September eighteenth? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't have my my thing with me. They're up as soon as we're done. I can find out. Oh, but, but they're up, right? They should, yeah, they're online. I just don't know why they're not. What's today, though? Today is the 21st. Okay, so the 18th, that's since Tuesday on, on my rate, on my thing. Is, 18th. Okay. But you're sending them. Yeah, I've sent them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, take care of that. I'll take care of that then. Um, and uh, we, uh, 
the 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 they've been sent. So we just need to make sure we'll we'll pop them up. Thanks, Emily, for for making sure that we're uh, we're there. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll be up. We'll we'll make sure we we'll make sure we get it together. Uh, that's going to be the first part of making sure that when we when we do the two point that we make sure all this is really uh, locked up and on time and ready to go for you. So, all right, folks, uh, don't forget hot dogs with heroes on behalf of Ryan O'Connor and our buddy of the earth, the St. Louis City Police Department as well. Fundraiser, the third annual. Mike Flamey and Hot Dogs with Heroes, raising money for our injured law enforcement, our heroes out there. And whether you're in the fire response business, emergency response business, police response business, they're fundraising, and the people out there are working hard to help people who fall in the process of keeping us safe. So out at Chesterfield Mall right outside of Macy's at the parking lot there. That is uh, tomorrow at 11 o'clock to 5. So lots of stuff for the kids, pony rides and games and things like that. Exotic animals, barbecue, you name it. And don't forget also about our Radio Free Almond Happy Hour that's on the 27th. That's next Thursday at Santino Cigars and Cocktails. That is at 5 o'clock on Thursday. We'll see you out there. And thank you. A couple of you folks on Facebook have uh, given Matthew Mitchell a call for your insurance. And just as I said you do, you had a look at your policy that you have with somebody else. And he makes it better. And you tear that old one up. And you're with him all of a sudden. 855-QUOTE-ME. That's 855-QUOTE-ME for all of your home life and auto needs. Matthew Mitchell will get it done for you. Michael Proctor, thank you so much. Proctor's Drapery, Proctor spelled like doctor. ProctorDrapery.com. Eric Deputy, thank you, brother. Appreciate it very much. NaputiWellness.com. Tracy Ellis, Rick and Tracy Ellis. TracyEllis.com, thank you as well. Thank you to Discovery Design Inc. DiscoveryDesignInc.com. Pogue family over there. Thank you guys. And of course, thank you to Golden Oak Lending for all of your refi needs. Rates are down to threes. Get your free mortgage checkup and get on your way to turning the increased value of your home into something you can use to pay off credit card debt or improve your home or do whatever. 314-567-GOLD. That's 314-567-GOLD. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks a ton. RadioFreeAlman.com.